0: To read me like a fool
1: Uh, trying to yes and you and my my brain just stalled. I was like
2: I I I uh, no anded you so.
1: <laughs> I was really try. I was I just my brain just stalled. I just like looked at you like a deer in the headlights. I was like jokes uh, podcasting. Yeah okay. Tell me about Mobile Suit Double Zeta Gundam. Um so uh oh oh real quick yeah anime. Mm, at this point yeah. Oh, right, yeah, you're at the point yeah. where it's anime. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's no longer anime, Janai, it is just anime. <laughs> yeah,
3: anime, uh,
1: ja. Yeah. <laughs> no. Shut up. <laughs> Nose Japanese voice, anime, ja. <laughs>
2: Um. Anyway... Uh, this is, I put this in here because I was watching. I don't even remember what episode at this point because I've been watching it, you know. This weekend I didn't hit two a day, but I've been watching, like, two a day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes more, trying to catch up when I have, like, weekends where I don't always hit that. Mm. Um, and there's one, I, like, I guess kind of spoilers for Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zeta. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but... So there's a part where uh, my favorite of the the uh, UC Gundam boys, uh, Judo, mm-hmm. he's running up some stairs. Uh, young Jackie Chan, motherfucker, I love him so much. Um, and I, I like immediately like he's running upstairs and I point and go stairs, and then the camera like whip pans to Haman Karn standing at the top of the stairs. Holding a pistol, and I'm like stairs, and I'm like immediately tweeting like these are S rank stairs. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh
0: huh. Uh um,
2: huh. We're gonna get another character jumping in front of Judo and getting shot. Uh huh. We're gonna get Judo going super saiyan and growing huge, like psychic projection, huge coming out of the roof of the building.
1: It's my favorite moment of new type shit in all of. On the fucking stairs. On the fucking stairs. S rank stairs. He, so he he psychically projects big judo on the stairs.
2: Yeah. So I went in and I I put it in here right away. Mm-hmm. S rank. And then I also went into uh, Annie list where you can rank stuff while you're currently watching it. And I just did five stars. I I don't know how I'm not gonna love this series. Like it's gonna it would have to fumble the bag so hard.
1: I gotta tell you, it's not gonna the ending of Double Zeta Gundam yeah. fucks, dude. <laughs> I don't um,
2: There's only been like two episodes that I didn't really like that much. And it was just like it was like at the very end of the the Mashimer stuff where I was just like eh, I just like want them to get off of this like first colony. I want, I want them to, I want them to get off of Shangri La by now and just do something else. And then they went to moon moon and I was like, yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs> before you got into Double Zeta, um, I guess I was trying to very softly sell you on it, you know, I, I or I tried not to like overdo it because I know, I know that like Double Zeta has a certain reputation in our circles so that you knew it's the Gundam that everybody really loves. Um, <clears throat> and I was like, okay, that that's enough. Nia is going to be interested just based on that. Now you're in now that you're in it, I'm fine like just fully telling you. The ending of Double Zeta fucks. And I'm not yeah. gonna tell you what it is, but like it's fucking good, dude. You have so much good shit ahead of you. You have so much glemming toto dirtbaggery ahead yeah. of you. God, I love that little worm man. <laughs> um Bicha
2: could have stepped on him. <laughs> Bicha could have just fucking stepped on him. Mm-hmm. If Um, only anyway yeah people are like the start of of double zeta is bad uh and i understand why they say that is because you've been watching a bunch of uh uc gundam uh shows from tomino that have like a lot of politicking and stuff going on and then suddenly you you hit like what's this like anime uh jokey comedy stuff um the tone is just shifted wildly yeah um I was, I was enjoying it just as somebody who likes... Uh, like, I think that some of that stuff is intentionally drawing from, like, uh, Hong Kong action movie stuff. Um, I think Judo kind of is one of those characters. Yeah, uh, Jackie Chan is one of the big ones that comes to me, because Jackie Chan is so good at the humor side of things. Better than Double Zeta is, but, like, Jackie Chan is going to be the one who's going to do the... the fucking foolhardy thing of like, I'm gonna run at the mech, you know, the equivalent Mm -hmm. in the kung fu. I'm gonna run at the mech and I'm gonna climb up its legs, uh in a way that's going to be like kind of ridiculous and I'm like scrambling all around, but I also am just like scaling the leg of a mech, and it's still impressive to see. Yeah. You know? Uh, And I'm going to do that and I'm going to hop up and I'm going to steal the mech from somebody who's currently in it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to involve like hanging from the edge and everything. I think all that stuff is pulling from Hong Kong action stuff. So I was already just kind of enjoying this is the tone of it. Um, Not knowing where it was going. But then you get, like, you get a bunch of that where Judo is just, like, this Hong Kong action hero who um, has this, like, fairly optimistic but kind of, like, lazy and uh, inconsiderate approach to life. Um, And then you, like, finally throw him up against, like, the actual brunt of, like, what Gundam has been up until this point. Um, And you see him, like, floundering to some extent because he's a person who in, like, Jackie Chan Hong Kong way, has just always gotten his way. Uh Uh-huh. Has always succeeded. He's bumblingly succeeded, you know? Uh, And now there are, like, limits to which... Even as he, like, continues to be the Gundam hero who is going to succeed, there are limits to which that, like, enables you to prevent other deaths and the tragedy of war and things. And he's having to run up against that, but also because he is just, like has a, a healthier approach to, like, general life stuff, he's better set up to deal with some of the shit that, like, Camille and Amara are just going to buckle under. Mm. Um, Where all this stuff happens with, you know, Pla, and it's like, I do just want to save my sister, though, but also, like, you seem nice, and I will, like, you know, be friends with you. Right. Um... In a way that's just so different than, like, the shit happening with Camille around all that stuff. hmm So. Um, no, I love it. I love him as a character. <laughs> but also in a way where, like, despite the fact that I think seeing two other Gundam series makes people more, like, what the fuck is this when you start watching Double Zeta? I think having both of those as the backdrop to now Judo comes along. Yeah. Is actually important, too.
1: Yeah, totally.
2: So. I think all the, the starting episodes are fantastic. I don't think the show would work without them.
1: Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I just don't enjoy them. <laughs> but also, I was in such a different headspace then.
2: Yeah. Um. <clears throat> anyway, RoboCop, robots,
1: police, robotic cooperative.
2: Yeah. Um, S rank stairs for double Zeta. In
1: case that wasn't clear. S rank stairs for RoboCop. In case that's not clear. The little mech, the 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 mech guy is chasing RoboCop and falls down the stairs and lands on his head and starts screaming like a wounded animal. <laughs> um, Yeah, uh, so I, uh, words. If you go to x oddio slash franchise, or go to the Patreon page and give us a dollar, um, you can listen to um, our first episode of season two of uh, Pardon My Franchise, where we're gonna start covering um, RoboCop. We watched the first up. Ep- we watched the first. Oh, I'm stuttering all of a sudden. We we watched the first RoboCop movie, and that movie's fucking good, dude. Yeah, that movie's fucking. I'm probably gonna good. rewatch it
2: this week. I was hoping to do it on uh, Friday, but then you stole my computer to go record a podcast. So
1: yeah, yeah, I did do that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I might. Um. Uh, if you're going to try and watch it this week, maybe I'll try and like throw on a commentary track for it or something just to like keep it kind of fresh in my head because I'd love to talk about it. There's there's stuff. I thought the f- part in my franchise was really good. There's just like there's stuff that I had. I had bumping around in my head that I feel like you and I could bounce off each other a little better. And so I'll just try to keep it a little fresh in my head. you know. Yeah. Um. But I think Nora and I had a really great conversation about it. Um she really she really got my ass at a certain po- moment in that show. Um uh, I won't give that away here, but um she really got my ass. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, that's that's my Robo- RoboCop thoughts for right now. Especially if you're planning to watch it next week and we can sort of like get into it a little more. Um yeah. And then also if you want to hear me talk about RoboCop 2, that'll be uh up in a few days. Uh <laughs> do you still need to watch Uh, that you still need to watch that i still need to watch that i don't want to watch it um i have zero faith in irvin kershner on this none
2: the thing is robocop is paul verhoeven
1: yeah it's paul verhoeven Uh uh-huh yeah like i this is the first this is the first verhoeven movie i've seen that's wild to me yeah what should i watch next um I know Nora wants me to watch Starship Troopers, but we're planning on doing that for a franchise at some point. Yeah. Are you like a showgirls person or are you Showgirls is great. I fucking love Showgirls. Okay. I
2: like basic uh basic basic oh, I've Instinct. Seen
1: a lot. I've seen Basic Instinct. Yeah. That was really good. I've seen oh, base. the
2: 2000 Hollow Man.
1: Okay, I don't know that. Um yeah, Basic Instinct yeah. is the only other one of these I've seen.
2: Total Recall is fine. I think it's actually one of my least favorite of his.
1: Nora but, and I were like kind of talking about Total Recall during the episode, and then she came to me like a day or two later and was like, I don't really want to watch Total Recall. She said, <laughs> I think she said, like, I kind of had my feel of Arnold. She, she just watched um, Terminator 2 and 3 recently. Yeah. Um, And so I think she's just like, I've had a lot of Arnold. I don't really need I've been thinking about watching... Rick was telling me to watch flesh and blood, yeah. which I need to tell Nora about a Rutger Hauer, um, uh, uh, like Excalibur type, like swords and sandals type thing.
2: That sounds good. I haven't seen
1: that one. Um, and then I was thinking about watching the fourth man, <laughs> which
2: sequel to the third man.
1: It's, it sounds like that's what they're doing. Right. It yeah. sounds like they're making a, like, you know, thriller noir type. Ooh, I just bumped the mic. Sorry there. listeners. Um, they're, they're doing like a thriller noir type
2: a specifically bisexual writer
3: yeah so. so
2: which also specifically a bisexual yeah writer as the third man <laughs> hero of the third man um, um, that is canon yeah confirmed by the producer of the film himself <laughs>
1: Um. so yeah I have I have All an interest in that I wonder if
2: the novel of the same name is. Because oh. I know the third man is a Graham Greene novel.
1: Can you do me a quick favor? Um, this is something that we also did on the Coffee and Comic Books that I recorded just the other day. Can you Google for me Flesh and Blood Berserk?
2: Flesh and Blood Berserk.
1: Yep. Because I just want you to see how blatant some of the thievery is. Should I go over so,
3: to, to... Homage it or
1: uh do images do images but i think that image the images are just going to show you that reddit thread
3: oh yeah <laughs> like
1: like some of the some of the shit that gets homaged from this movie in berserk is so blatant yeah like guts's dad is ju- just Rutger hauer i didn't yeah. see it till now but it's true it's a
0: fact <laughs>
1: um yeah that's about it Anyway, let's me, get back to reading Berserk. Tell me about the. I Oceans got those,
2: I got those like big collections. They look like Bibles. Yeah. Practically from the library. Yeah. I didn't buy them.
1: I, I. One of these days, I will own those. Yeah. That's a. That's when I start collecting those. That'll be an endeavor.
2: Thing is, I'm still waiting for my final volume of Nana to arrive in the mail. Um, it's just been on like back order for for a while.
1: Oh. While well, I'm thinking of it, listeners. Listeners. If you have volumes of cross game you're willing to part with, DM me. E- email me, exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com. Put cross game in the in the um, subject line. Um, I own volumes one, two, and eight. Those are the the bigger ones, not the yeah, like the omnibus, to- ones. The, the omnibus ones that are usually two and one, but the first one is three and one. Anyway, if you if you have cross game and you're willing to part with it. I'm not saying, like, you know, if if you have volumes of cross game and you're like, I don't like cross game that much. I like cross game that much. And, like, I will tell you a number, and that number will be more than the price that is on the sticker for the book. I'll tell you that much. Because <laughs> there are people out here selling volumes of cross game for, like, $200 in English. I'm not doing that. <laughs> This is what but, some of the Nana volumes were like. I, I, but I will tell you a number between like fifteen and two hundred. Yeah. We can negotiate a number. <laughs> um, there's a there's other stuff on my shelf. I started getting I started getting some volumes of Monster. I have like the fifth volume of Rosa Versailles. Those are collections that I'm like I'll complete these in the fullness of time. One of these days, I'll get the other volumes of Rose of Versailles, and one of these days, I'll get the other volumes of Monster. Cross Game is the one that makes me feel crazy. I'm like, I want to look at all of Cross Game on my shelf. (laughs) Yeah. I've got Um, one, two, and eight.
2: (laughs) Anyway, I have that one volume on Back Order, Mm -hmm. but also if they release, like... Nice omnibus or something. If it's just like the cheap ones, like the I have the cheap omnibus of mm. Ray Earth, that one I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, probably. I would probably be like, that's whatever. But if they did nice copies, I'd like, fucking buy covers. that. Yeah,
1: if they did hard covers, you'd buy them. Oh f- yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Tell me about the oceans movies. Um, so Emily's been in a heist move mood. Um, so I, I we've been uh watching through the Oceans movies. Um with Emily, uh we watched Oceans Eleven and Oceans 12, the the two uh Sutterberg ones. Um I also, uh, on my own watched the original Oceans Eleven. Uh this is by uh Lewis Millstone, which is the one that's like the rat pack one. Um it's got Sammy Davis Jr. just stealing every fucking scene that he's in. Um You know, Frank Sinatra, some other singer um, who I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Um, And like a a number of other like stars at the time, basically. Um, Famous people. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about that one first, just as like the precursor. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the big thing here is like there are some people who I think would really enjoy... um, this movie, but like, you just, you gotta be in a mood where you like sixties movies that are mostly just like, uh, charming white men in suits. Right. Uh, talking at each other. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a, the a thing I like, you know? Yeah. And if you like that,
2: and if you're also, uh, like going to be able to deal with the fact that th- there's occasional racism happening, including one like completely throwaway scene, uh, very unnecessary. Like it doesn't like come to any plot point other than it's just like while they're going to to uh like hide the money mm-hmm. um and they're on the garbage truck because this becomes like a key part is um so the the plot of the original Ocean's Eleven is that they they hit five casinos in Las Vegas simultaneously. Uh huh. Um. Part of this is like why it ends up being eleven. Because you have, like, uh, one guy who's helping plan it and has a lot of the criminal connections, but can't go to Las Vegas because they would recognize his face. Right. So he's, like, helping with the planning stuff. Then you have ten other men. One of them, Sammy Davis Jr., and his role is he's going to go um, and, like, as a garbage man, pick stuff up. Because they're not going to let a black man into the casinos, basically. huh. Um, it's kind of a point to this. Yeah. Um, and so he goes around because the thing is they all hit it and then they throw the, they put like in duffel bags and they throw it in the trash. And then Sammy Davis jr. Comes throws it into the, the garbage truck. And so then when the police have like surrounded everything and have the blockade, the garbage truck can drive through. Right. Um, and they're not really going to question it. Um, so anyway, uh, and so you have like five guys hitting them and then you have like, uh, Like, three or four people who are... are, Oh, you have one guy who's doing demolitions work, and then you have three people who are, like, floaters Mm -hmm. who can, like, help out where stuff is needed. Um, But also, this is the 60s. There's not, like, super high-tech security stuff. So none of it's, like, we have to, like, do all this convoluted stuff to get break into, like, you know, some high-security vault that has all these cameras and, like, all the, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is, like, a more modern heist thing. Um, that I think like the the modern Ocean's Eleven movie is like really popular uh, popularized and made really big. Where you get like your team, where everyone has a job mm-hmm. that's going to relate to the complex security system. Where you you know you got your grease man, you got the mm-hmm. you know these people are far less specialized. Um, you have one guy going to plant de- demolition charges on an electrical power transmission tower to blow out uh, the power, and then before the backup electricity comes on. Um they have like covertly rewired it so that it will go out. Uh it's happening at on uh, New Year's Eve, so like there's the big countdown, everybody starts celebrating and then the power goes out. Um, but most of it is like people having to in a way that's probably actually truer to a lot of like high stuff, a fair amount of it is just people having to like talk their way deeper into spaces. Right. Um, in order to then be really close that when the power goes out, they can make the run, like, mm-hmm. threaten people who are counting the money and then, like, take the money and the stuff from the, the vaults that are open because they're doing the count for the night or whatever. Right. Um, and then, yeah, put it in the duffel bags or whatever. But at all of this... Here's the the build up. There's a a joke towards the very end where they're taking the money to hide it. And one of the guys dies during the heist from a heart attack. Not Mm -hmm. like from anything else. It's after the heist was successful and he just dies in the streets. Um, This becomes like part of how they start figuring. Some people start figuring out who did it. And so the heat's on them and they don't trust their current hiding location. So they want to take all the money and put it in his casket Mm -hmm. so that. After the funeral, they can dig it up and get the money. Right. Um, and so they're going and it's like multiple of them because they all have to like do this quickly. So they're gonna like go with the multiple, you know, instead of having to carry all five or whatever at once. It's not even that because you also see Sammy Davis Jr. carrying all five earlier. But anyway, they're all <laughs> they're all posing as garbage men, which means they start applying blackface. And then they joke and ask Sammy Davis Jr. how he takes his off. Yeah. it's a really bad racist joke that has no... Like, you could just excise this from the movie. You could delete that... Like, literally just delete that scene and it would still make
3: sense. The movie would still make sense. Yeah.
2: Um. So, you just have to be prepared for that.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Mm-hmm. But also, like... If you look at Letterboxd, everyone's just talking about, like, this scene's so bad and you shouldn't watch the movie. Um, if you're doing that, you are depriving yourself of all these other scenes where Sammy Davis Jr. is just exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, like, again, just fully stealing every single scene he's in. Uh, he was incredible. All the songs he sings, is like, man, why the fuck did anybody care about Frank Sinatra? His songs <laughs> suck compared to this. <laughs> There's a part where he just, like, kind of, like, happily sings, like, the big end theme song uh-huh. uh, that you're going to get where I think Sinatra's singing it at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, ha-ha, you know. He he just, like, got through the police uh, blockade, and he just, like, you know, sings a, a line from it. And he right. sings it so much better than Sinatra's going to at the end of the <laughs> fucking movie. Um, he's fantastic. Anyway... Uh, I think this is very funny and I think a lot of people probably won't watch this movie so uh if anybody really cares about more spoilers like just like skip ahead a little bit in your podcast app right um starting right now so the the coffin uh gets cremated and so all the money <laughs> burns and so the end of the movie is them just walking sadly out of the because f- they've learned that he's being cremated that like all the money's gone it was just a funny <laughs> bit um <laughs> Yeah, so much, very little of this movie is a heist. So much of it is like an hour of just like setup of people like talking to each other as like a guy gets out of prison and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then kind of starting to plan it. Um, and then the heist is like maybe 15, 20 minutes at most. Uh huh. I think less. Um, and most of it is just like people standing around in casinos trying to like find their in to get deeper into the casino. Um, and then most of the stuff after is like the heat's on them, and they're trying to figure right. out what to do. Um, so, yeah. If you want like an exciting heist movie, this is not it.
1: I was listening to you talk about this, and not. I don't. I'm worried that the thought I'm going to come on, I'm about to say, is going to come off as superior, and I don't mean in this in this way. Yeah, but the thing it reminded me of is, oh, there's like four. 50s french heist movies that i'm interested in like le cercle rouge Bob Le flambor um there's some others that i'm not coming to i i watched rififi last year which is a great one of these yeah you know and i was just like all those just kind of pique my interest a little more than oceans 11 1960 yeah. you know like yeah um and i know you're doing this as a you, do, I don't think you watched this one with Emily, but you're doing this with Emily. You were watching this movie at work. You're not going to watch French movies at work like, yeah, that, you know. I just was like, yeah, there's just some French ones
2: I'd rather like. Yeah, I mean, my big advice is uh, unless you're like really interested in just like if you really like the Ocean series and you kind of want to see how it started, and, yeah, um, you know, you you have like a certain taste for these like '60s movies hmm. uh, and also a certain tolerance for them. Then, like, watch it. But also, it's not a good heist movie.
1: I'd really like to watch the Italian Job one of these days. It's just one of those ones that, like, yeah. oh, I'll get to it one of these days and never have. Um, and that's also that's a from 1969, and it's like, yeah, I'd rather watch uh that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know.
2: Anyway, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. has also been in a lot of fucking movies, and I want to check out some more because he was exceptional on this. So, That's cool. There's a lot of like uh, um,
1: singer actors from that period who are not great as actors or great singers, not great actors. You know, yeah. Um, so, uh, thoughts on other Oceans Eleven and Oceans Twelve? Um, yeah. So the the new Oceans Eleven, um, Notions Eleven. Yeah, this Notions is, Eleven it doesn't quite work as well as New. It, yeah, it doesn't because you don't get the new, <laughs> New Oceans um, Eleven. No, Notion Oceans Eleven new. No, no, I'm I'm gonna stop. (laughs) Yeah, um,
2: I've seen the distinction, and this does match like the the original posters. Is that the? But this doesn't come through on a podcast. Is that the 1960 Rat Pack one? Is like with the numerals Uh eleven. Um, this is how I've it in the spreadsheet, and then the the Soderbergh one spells out with letters eleven. But anyway, watch both of these with Emily. Uh, she liked 11 a lot more than 12. Um I think I still liked 11 a little bit more just cuz it's like uh it's a little bit like tighter on what it is. That is um it 12 is, is a little bit more just like kind of messy and sprawling.
1: Ocean's 11 is like such a like well-crafted movie. Yeah, this you is, know.
2: So the the Soderbergh Ocean's 11 is ten minutes shorter than the <laughs> nineteen sixty one? So much more stuff happens in it, right? But also, it, like, it is like a, a huge budget, like extremely successful, um, yeah. you know, incredibly uh, influential heist film. Uh huh. That does not hit two hours. Yeah, it's close, but it does not hit two hours. Right. It's fucking wild.
1: Yeah. The the. It's just it's hard to uh, overstate like how how perfect the editing in that movie is, how tight the script is, how and and then of of course, the movie only functions because like George Clooney is George Clooney, yeah you know? and Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt, yeah, and, yeah. And, and like like the whole ca- the whole cast of Oceans Eleven is amazing, but it really does pivot on Danny Ocean in a huge way, you yeah. Know? Whereas the the previous movie sounds a little more ensemble.
2: Yeah, I mean it the thing is it is trying to pivot on Frank Sinatra but I just don't think Frank Sinatra has the screen presence in no the same way No one has the screen that,
1: presence that George Clooney has
2: except for Sammy <laughs> Davis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing: the the '60s movie would be so much better if it if they built it pivoting around Sammy Davis Jr. and understood what the fuck they had, but they were racist anyway.
1: Yeah, oh, I, can I get mad about something randomly? <laughs> sure. I was listening to um, a basketball podcast, and they were like, "Who's the greatest actor of all time?" And both the hosts were like, "Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Easy. He's no fucking George Clooney. No, he's not." Are y'all dumb? (laughs) I don't even know if George Clooney is the greatest actor of all time. I'm not really, like, getting into that debate. But, like, I, like, listened to that today, and I was like, that's dumb. They're they're wrong about that. And then I thought about it, and I'm like, literally, it's not even, like, a recency thing. Because, like, Clooney and DiCaprio are not, like, that different generationally. They were back in the 90s. But time has progressed enough that, like, those generations are sort of becoming one, you know? Yeah. Um, like, they're kind of just old guys now. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking
2: George Clooney. Yeah, dude. There they, there just hasn't been a movie star like George Clooney since George Clooney. No.
3: No.
1: <laughs> even, even... There haven't been movie stars, really, in the last...
2: <laughs> yeah. But
1: even the movie stars we have had,
2: like... No man named Chris can hold a candle to George Clooney.
1: (laughs) Like uh, Will Smith, not George Clooney. I love Will Smith. I love Will Smith. He ain't George Clooney.
2: You know? (laughs) Um, But uh, I mean, one of the things, like the biggest thing that uh, the Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven takes from the original is you get a bunch of like movie stars in your movie (laughs) forming a heist crew. That's just good. Yeah. That's just yeah, good. that's just cinema. you know uh, and the the modern Oceans 11 just has Betty better movie stars, mm-hmm. and then also gives them more to do other than just sit around in rooms talking. yeah, yeah, which is still nice, but like there's a certain point where you're like, all right, let's let's get to the heist now
1: there's a there's a lot of like walk and talk. In the Soderbergh, Ocean's Eleven. There's a little, like, dynamism. Not, like, walk and talk in the way that, like, Aaron Sorkin is just like, uh, I don't know, I guess they'll be walking down a hallway while they have this conversation. But, like, a, we're going to a place, the camera's moving around, like like something is happening in the scene.
2: We are we are talking while we're watching somebody because we're stationed in the like van watching someone like do surveillance in the building or whatever. Yeah. Uh and so we're having a conversation and being like, "Oh, what? <laughs> Something's going yeah. on." And then he's like running and has to jump on the top of the van or whatever, you
1: know? Turns out turns out that like massive audiences cuz this movie's such a huge hit. Yeah. Turns out that massive audiences of people are fine just watching eleven guys talk, as long as you make like the image kind of dynamic.
3: Uh-huh. You know,
1: <laughs> as long as there's like stuff happening in the movie, <laughs> people are fine just watching guys talk.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so Ocean's Eleven is like one big heist, and it. Mm. The other thing too is so there is this whole thing with like the uh George Clooney's like uh or I guess Frank Sinatra's like divorce whatever.
1: Yeah. You know.
2: But like that doesn't like really like there is the still like you're not going to do another high star you mm-hmm. thing that uh, honestly comes up more like Ocean's 12 also kind of takes from the original in some aspects. Um but you know, you're just like up to your old tricks basically, you know. Uh, but that doesn't, like, really get tied into, in the way that, like, Ocean's Eleven is so smart, by then tying that plot into, and so I'm trying to get revenge on, like, the guy she's with now, who owns this casino. Mm. Uh, so we're doing this big heist, but also it's just to fuck over this one guy, who I don't like, because (laughs) he's with my (laughs) (laughs) ex-wife. And that, like, makes all the stakes, like, interrelated in a way Uh that makes it, like, more fun and exciting.
1: Yeah. Um... I just, I just think the scene of like him talking to Julia Roberts, she like comes down the stairs and he just like has a conversation with her over dinner the night before the heist is just electric, Yeah, you know? I just think like the, the whole movie works because of that scene for me in a huge yeah. way, you know?
2: Um, by the way, I did question marks for Ocean's Eleven, I like the old one. Mm. Um, there's one where I do remember somebody coming downstairs and like, it's a 60s movie. So the stairs were ornate. Yeah. But I don't really remember... Like, it didn't, like, amount to much.
1: Right. That's kind of... Like, Julia Roberts comes down some really ornate stairs in Ocean's Eleven, uh, 2001. Um, But to my recollection, you only briefly, briefly see them. And it's just kind of like she walks down them, and then they go to the restaurant and have a conversation. You know? It's not like... It's not like they have this big conversation on the stairs, you know? Yeah.
2: yeah. So, A for Ocean's Love, and so they think what you did when you watched it. Um, And I I don't really... Like, I'm I'm positive that there were stairs in Ocean's 12. I just wasn't paying close enough attention for them, and there's no stairwell scene that stands out to me right now. Don't, so I did C with a question mark.
1: Don't get too in-depth on Ocean's 12, because this conversation has now put me in, like, a, a mood to watch George Clooney. Yeah. And... I haven't seen Oceans Twelve, so I might try to do that. The next should
2: week. should I at least give you the basic premise?
1: Yeah, give me the basics.
2: Um, so the the uh, shitty casino owner, even though he got all of his money back in taxes, uh, still is pissed off that they stole from him. Uh huh. And so he teams up with um, a, another like famous thief to find out who they are, mm-hmm. and then uh basically have them ha- do other heists to steal money for him to pay him back with interest okay but then this also gets tied into this whole thing of the other thief being like upset that um people said that like that was the greatest heist ever and not one that he did and so he's like trying to turn it into a competition okay that and so fun. it's them like doing multiple heists um and, like, this, like, competition thing happening and you sort of get the big final heist and blah, 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 and, you know, all of that. Um, so, uh, but, like, I, part of the reason why I kind of agree with Emily, although Emily feels more strongly that, like, Ocean's 12 was, like, Emily's, like, Ocean's 12 was kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And I really, like, she enjoyed Ocean's 11 uh, a good bit. Um, and I'm not, like, Ocean's 12 was boring huh. But I, I think there's like so much to, I like a heist movie where so much of it is just a build up to one big fucking heist. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Um, And the, like, it's like a lot of the planning and stuff. And then like you see it and then you see how things go wrong and how they have to like adapt to the plan that they had. This is to me a slight weakness with Fast Five, which is Fast Five does a lot of that. But so much of the planning they do gets absolutely scrapped. You, and, like, the the conclusion of that heist with the whole, like, driving with the, the uh, you know, um, vault through the streets and stuff is just so, like, ridiculous and fun. Yeah. That you kind of forget that, like, they spent so much of that movie doing all of this planned stuff that,
1: like, gets scrapped.
3: Yeah. Like
2: things just keep getting scrapped, and I just wish more of it stuck around and, like...
1: Yeah. You know. Um, there's... there. So, I was... Um...
2: Like that whole thing of like doing the like turn, Mm -hmm. they like practice that for so long, and it's like such a big key part where you just assume it's gonna have a part where they have to do it. Yeah, and then it just gets
1: completely scrapped. It's it's funny you mention this. I was so I've been writing that Star Wars fanfic, right? Yeah, and um, I've had a couple shifts recently where I, for the first time ever at this job, I've been able to like listen to podcasts and stuff. Um, and I was like wanting to listen to something related to, I want to like, feeling unconfident in my abilities as a writer. And so I've been listening to Brandon Sanderson give lectures at BYU about like, he has, he teaches a class every year on writing, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, most writing advice I think is bullshit, but I like Brandon's books. So I'll listen to him give lectures on this. Yeah. And it's so funny just because one of one of the books, one of his more successful books is a heist book. Um, and he literally uses an example of like um, when he was writing um, his heist book, he went and like watched a bunch of heist movies and read a bunch of heist books and tried to figure out what works and what doesn't work in other ones. And he's like, yeah, I kept getting annoyed because so many heists would like start with here's the premise. And then, and we would do all this planning, and then all the planning would get tossed out. Yeah, <laughs> it's just very funny to hear you both kind of make the same point. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, in part, what's so great about *Ocean's Eleven is that a lot of the planning is important, mm-hmm. and it's just the stuff where, like, yeah, you can plan something perfectly, and unexpected things still come up. Um, and then that's like where you get fun, exciting stuff where there's attention because the plan's going wrong, and they have to adapt. Hmm. But like. The plan, so much of the plan is still there and the adapting isn't like, well, we scrap everything we planned. It's like, how do we figure out how to get things back on? Right. On the tracks, you know? And I I like that more than just like, we have to like completely uh, toss everything out the window and do something else now. Right. Um, And then also part of what's great is that it leaves, uh, you know, until the end, which I think is a classic of a lot of heists, but like you get the sense that they have fully planned here's how we're going to get out. Right. And they talk about, we're literally just going to walk out with the money, mm-hmm. you know, but that you never like get that final part of the plan. So then when you see it happening, you're like, Oh, this is so cool. Yeah. You know? It's so good. Um, and like fast five does it, but in this ridiculous way where you're like, you did so little setup for them being able to do this.
1: Fast five the thing that... the It's Justin Lin, right? Yeah. The thing that Justin Lin does with Fast Five it, it is... Maybe indicative of the Marvelification of the Fast and Furious yeah. series here. It is the
2: start of it. Yeah,
1: totally. And maybe... We, we talked about that a bunch. We've talked about that a bunch on this podcast. Yeah. But... Maybe part of it also is there's just a, like, more to Fast Five. There's just a more bigger, more awesome, more epic, more cool um, ethos to it that I think ends up leading to we did all this prep that never mattered because all that prep was just actually (laughs) wheel spinning to get to the final stunt, you know? Um, Which is maybe not. Um... Yeah,
2: the thing makes is... it. It's a fun movie to watch, but like when yeah. I think of it, like the thing is, I'm positive that because uh, I'm also gonna show Emily Fast Five. So I don't think she's ever seen it. Uh huh. And I think she's gonna fucking love it because it's gonna be action packed. Like yeah. it's just fun to yeah. watch. It's yeah, it's good from totally. that perspective. But from like the part of my brain that just like. Really enjoy some of this high stuff. I just
1: really like seeing the planning and then the like execution of the plan. Right. This was the thing I was starting to say, and then I kind of like lost track of it. Um, Is that like the thing that Justin Lin accesses in that movie? Is that is that the more can be fun? You know that you can just do something. You can keep throwing more stuff at the audience, and that can be fun. The problem is that like. That mode has become so much of blockbuster filmmaking for the last 10, 15 years now, whatever. Yeah. That it is, it has become totally inert. But Fast Five they're... is like early enough on that wave. Yeah. That they totally just like nailed it, you know?
2: And then the joke is like, oh, uh, and then eventually they're going to go to space or like, what's the, what's going to be the jumping the shark moment? But then. What's also been ha- happening with Blockbusters is like this uh, obnoxious, like uh, meta right. comedy stuff, where they are going to be doing the thing where they are fully jumping the shark and going to space. but They're going to be commenting on it. is ha mm-hmm. ha ha, Isn't it funny that we're doing the thing that everyone was saying? Yeah. Oh, they're going to have to do that eventually to top this.
1: Fact, you know, there's an earnestness to Fast
2: Five. Yes.
1: Yeah. You know, it's doing the bullshit, but it's not like.
2: Well, and it's also the first movie in the series that is just trying to escalate things like this, Mm -hmm. where it works there, where you have this big bombastic and you know, uh, Danza Kuduro hits, and you're like, yeah, (laughs) Um, and then like you're on top of the world, like you don't. There's another. Everything after has to like try to be bigger than Fast Five, and like just let Fast Five be big. Yeah.
1: You know what would have been sick is if like Fast Six was another Tokyo Drift. If, like, yeah. Fast 6 was, like, all right, let's go really small and personal again, you know? Yeah, and just, like, focus on some new
2: characters. Yeah. You maybe bring in a little bit more than in Tokyo Drift people. Yeah, it, like, or, it connect-
1: like I-, I think you have to do a little more connecting than, um, but, like, what if Fast 6 is just, yeah. like, let's... I mean, it's-, it's
2: Justin Lin, so you still have to have Han there.
1: Right. <laughs> but instead of trying to outdo yeah. Fast 5 at ev- with every movie since then... You could just go smaller. And now I know that like Vin Diesel is the is the captain of this ship, really, and so you're never gonna go smaller. Um yeah. yeah. Um I mm. was gonna did you see the letterbox page I had open a minute ago? No. Um uh, I'm a, so I have here George Clooney. His films he is an actor in sorted on letterboxed by popularity. Would you like to guess what on letterboxed? Is the most popular George Clooney film. Um, I can give you some hints if you would like them. Is it
2: that one? I don't remember the name of it, but where... Uh, oh, who's the actress? Where they're like, she's stuck
1: in space? Close. That's the number two. Okay. I don't know. What's
2: the name of the one? that? that Gravity. Movie?
1: Gravity. Um, I'll give you a hint. I haven't seen It mm. doesn't help that much. Um, Ocean.
2: It's not Ocean's Thirteen.
1: No, I'll give you one more hint, and it's that I think you are very fond of this movie, if I remember correctly. Um, and that, that, can I it, can I just look at George Clooney
3: movies? I mean, it, I it will also
1: it? sort it by popularity if you do uh, this.
2: Let me let me not do it on here then. Let me do yeah. it over on just Wikipedia. Yeah, you, like, you,
1: uh, here's the other hint I will give you, is that you might see this and be like, oh, right, that is a George Clooney movie. But it's not like, you know, it's not like Michael Clayton where he is the star, he is the reason that you went to see the movie. Uh, is
2: it Old Brother? Where are they?
1: No, that's number four on this
2: list. Okay, I can see that one being ranked high. Um, yeah, I'm not sure then. Is it Fantastic Mr. Fox? It's Fantastic
1: Mr. <laughs> Fox. Okay. Why is that the most popular one? I don't know.
3: <laughs> I um, would have expected
1: it would be Ocean's Eleven or Gravity or Oh Brother Where Art Thou, but those are two through four. Apparently it's Mr. Fox.
2: Yeah. Let's um, get kind of... I guess people watching... I feel like at a certain point, Wes Anderson movies become self-selecting. Yeah. People know if they like Wes Anderson's brand of bullshit or not. You know not.
1: what it is? You know what it is? It, Fantastic Mr. Fox sits perfectly at the intersection of, I'm a film guy really into Wes Anderson movies, and I can show this to my children.
2: And, uh, I'm a fucking weirdo animation nerd.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's That's how this happens.
0: Um... um
1: all the all the all the weirdo Cohen brothers uh people are showing their kids um Big Lebowski at age 13 or whatever. That's ha- that's how I got acquainted with the Cohen brothers, just yeah. seeing Big Lebowski right when I was old enough to start getting totally inundated all at all hours of every day with anyway. uh the Dude abides jokes or whatever.
2: Uh fantastic Mr. Fox is fine, but I like barely remember it. Do you kn- do you actually know my I I guess my two favorite uh Wes Anderson films
3: no
1: do you, you want to guess um I'm gonna guess so I'll tell you I'll give you a quick rundown um I've not seen Bottle Rocket I've not seen Rushmore saw the Royal Ten Mounds a long time ago really like it not seen Life Aquatic not seen Darjeeling not seen Fantastic Mr. Fox saw Moonrise Kingdom when it came out and liked it saw Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, while recovering from a surgery one time. And liked it, but don't hardly remember it on account of the surgery. Isle of Dogs. Don't know what that is. Um, French Dispatch, I think, is fucking fantastic. So, I'm going to guess that you're really into Rushmore and Steve Zissou. The Life Aquatic, but... Yeah.
2: Life Aquatic is probably my favorite one. That's That felt right. Um... I have a in a way where like I I haven't watched it in a while, and I'm sure some of the like actual plot stuff is kind of just cringe or something now. But I also have a lot of affection for Bottle Rocket just because it is like
1: yeah okay. I went, I was like I was, I thought about Bottle Rocket and I was like no that's gonna be like too early and too rough. Well, I'm gonna but specifically
2: now. because. Wes Anderson is a director whose style now is so defined by, like, these extremely tightly composed, like, front-on, like, everything, like, extremely blocked and stuff, that it's interesting to see him doing something that's, like, so not, like, is, is gesturing at this as an interest, but so not, like, at that level where he's, like, right, everything is in its, like, little proper place. I also like Moonrise Kingdom.
3: Moonrise Kingdom's good,
2: but... Um, um, we
1: have friends who don't like Moonrise kingdom and I understand their reasons but I just think the movie is charming. Yeah. And I think it's extremely well acted which helps.
2: Um But yeah, The Life Aquatic's great. It's uh Moby Dick but like a fucking Wes Anderson movie starring Bill Murray.
1: I'd like to I'd like to rewatch Tenenbaums. I'd like to see Life Aquatic and I'd really like to rewatch Grand Budapest Hotel and then I think like Oh, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. And then I think I've, like, exhausted my curiosity on Anderson, you know? Yeah. There's other stuff. and I, I, There's stuff I suspect I would like. I'd probably like Bottle Rocket. Don't feel terribly curious about it, you know? Yeah.
2: So I've seen everything up to Grand Budapest Hotel.
1: I didn't watch Isle of Dogs or French Dispatch. You should really watch The French Dispatch. Yeah. I think that movie's fantastic. I really... The French Dispatch is probably my favorite one of his that's partial recency bias, for sure. Um,
3: uh, This ties in.
1: The thing is, so, like, I should
2: watch The French Dispatch. I'm then gonna be like, I should watch Isle of Dogs because it's the only one I haven't seen. I mean, he has two more apparently coming out this year. Well...
1: Um, I just remembered something about Isle of Dogs.
2: But I also know that Isle of Dogs is, like, kind of weird and
1: Yeah, I just kind of remembered that it's racist, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) So this is... What
2: I'm saying is this is the problem with me watching The French Dispatch. Uh Uh-huh. Is that it's going to increase the impulse that I have to, like, well, I should just watch all of his movies then. Instead of it being, like, well, here's where I ended. I ended with the one that's kind of (laughs) racist. I Um, mean, maybe you should watch the
1: racist one next... And yeah, then and then watch The French Dispatch so that I'm not just, like... Sitting with, like, the worst parts of yeah. it. Yeah. You know? Now, the
2: question is, if I'm doing this, I should re-watch The Life Aquatic. Yeah, sure. Should I do that before Isle of Dogs to remind me why I love this man before I go into to Isle of Dogs? Yeah, yeah. I, love is a strong word. Why I like this man.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> Before like, I go into Isle of Dogs. Get, refresh yourself on the one of these that you really like, because they're all pretty samey. So yeah. just refresh yourself on the one that you like. Yeah. Watch the one that you have low expectations for. Maybe it'll surprise you. Maybe it'll be racist, but the story is good or something. I don't know. Um, And then just watch The French Dispatch, because I really like The French Dispatch.
2: Yeah. And then maybe watch Fantastic Mr. Fox again, because I don't remember what the plot is. And I do just like foxes, so...
1: Um the 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 siren from alien just started uh playing in my head it draws inspiration from akira kurosawa and hayao miyazaki <laughs> <laughs> the the siren from alien is blaring yeah. in my head right now uh
2: what is a third japanese director you know is <laughs> <laughs> the energy
1: that i get from the
2: from those two please tell me a third
1: one i so so I talked about this very briefly on the last episode. Very... Gonna
2: a, this episode is going to be way longer than we wanted it to be. Yeah, but we're still Tell the story and then do the thing.
1: Yeah, the thing will be short. Um so so I I watched Tales of the Jedi, right? Which is basically a Star Wars OVA that they did last year. Okay. Um it's... I'm like
2: I have no fucking clue what you're saying.
1: <laughs> Tales of the Jedi. It's 3 18-minute episodes about Ahsoka and three 18-minute episodes about Count Dooku at, like, you see uh, Ahsoka as an infant. You see her one time during her days as a Jedi. You see her one time as her days post-Jedi. You see, like, three different times as Dooku is moving closer to the dark side, right? It's kind of just a cool little Star Wars OVA. Yeah.
2: Is it structured where you're supposed to, like, watch all three Ahsoka ones and all three Dooku ones? It's weird. Or is it back and forth?
1: No, it's way weirder than that. It's huh. the, it's the Ahsoka infant one, all three Dooku, and then the last two Ahsoka, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is chronological. If I'm not mis, I could be mistaken, but I believe that is the chronology of how these things happened in universe, but Bad. that's stupid. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> um, but the, f- the first one is the one that I liked least. Because the, the thing that I thought was really cool about Tales of the Jedi is that you could feel how much the Clone Wars, Dave Filoni, um, that crew, all the people involved in that have gotten better as visual storytellers over the years. You know, yeah. um, you can feel how they're getting better at directing visual media than they were back in 2008, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, the first Ahsoka one involves her growing up on a rural planet. Um, uh, with like a bunch of people who are like very, like, nebulously, like, spiritual in like ways that are like lightly coded as like in ways that one might code indigenous characters, but not really leaning into that fully. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, and so I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, my God, somebody showed Dave Filoni, Princess Mononoke.
0: Oh, God.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he saw that movie in 1997. But like the worst one of those was by far. I, I watched it and I was like, Dave Filoni really thought he went off on this one by making a Hayao Miyazaki one. And then I looked up a, a quote from him after I finished watching the show. And he's like, yeah, I was really proud of the first episode in particular. I thought we really captured the Hayao Miyazaki vibes or whatever. And I'm like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> there's so much There's so much good, like, stylistic stuff by the standards of Star Wars in those six episodes. Bad Miyazaki ripoffs are not it. <laughs> anyway, the thing. The thing. Um, there was a
2: period at the beginning of you just talking about Star Wars where I was like, "How did we get here?"
1: <laughs> I'm always thinking about. Star <laughs> and
2: then, and then it got to yeah. um, Miyazaki. And I was like, hey, "Now I understand."
1: I'm all. That's my secret cap. <laughs> anyway, the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners. <laughs> Earlier, Nia follows it account that tweets pictures of Misato from Evangelion. Yeah. And earlier today, you quote-tweeted one of them with, like... (laughs) It's like, Misato's had a drink, and is just kind of, like, smiling and glaring, and, like, has her hand on her face, and you were like, this is Autumn every time that she's
2: like... This is me every time (laughs) that you are, like, going on some, uh... (laughs) You know, some, like, long, but, like, nuanced discussion of something, and I'm just sitting there, like coming up with, like, the stupid joke I'm going to say at the end of it? Uh Uh-huh. And then you look over at me and see the look on my face and just know that that's what's happening?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, you just showed me that image as as I finished my thought about Star Wars. (laughs) Anyway, the thing. (laughs) The thing. So, Nora and I, we watched RoboCop. We had time for one more movie that night. Nora was like, hey, do you want to watch in the Mouth of Madness, the nineteen ninety-five, I want to say, um, a John Carpenter movie starring Sam Neill, and I was like, "Ooh, Sam Neill!" You say I could go for some Sam Neill, and then Nora reminded me that um, In the Mouth of Madness is the third in a trilogy of movies, loosely thematically connected, not like literally. Yeah. Um, from The Thing to Prince of Darkness. To In the Mouth of Madness. And Nora's kind has... of trilogy. Huh? Yeah, totally. <laughs> way, way the fuck better than actual sequels. Yeah. Um. Um. So Nora was like, What do you want to watch in the mouth of madness? And then she reminded me that she had not seen the thing. And I'm like, You haven't seen the thing? That's my favorite John Carpenter movie. We gotta watch the thing. Listeners? I'm gonna get close up on the mic. I gotta I gotta tell you something. The Thing is the worst John Carpenter movie that I've seen. (laughs) And I've seen like seven of them. Yeah. The The Thing is still one of the best movies. Period. Full stop. I love The Thing. It ain't shit compared to like most other John Carpenter movies. (laughs) And I kind of wish I watched the one with Sam Neill in it. (laughs) Yeah. You love Prince of Darkness so much now. Yeah, no, no, no. So, it was, it was it was, fun, right? Because I'm glad that we did it. I'm glad that we watched The Thing. I kind of feel like my time would have been better spent watching In the Mouth of Madness. But I'm glad that I touched base with my feelings about The Thing. Because one, one thing's for goddamn sure, and this ain't Halloween. And any time I've ever said on this podcast, said on Twitter, on Export Audio, any time I've ever said... The thing is better than Halloween? Fucking stupid. It's Halloween. (laughs) Furthermore, I like, I came on this podcast a few months ago and had a lot of little complaints about Prince of Darkness. Yeah. A lot of like, "Mm, this was stupid. Uh, The cast wasn't very good. Uh, Stupid. Shut up. (laughs) It kicks the shit out of this movie. The Thing has the special effects. Yeah. Absolutely, like, unparalleled um, special effects. Some of the best... Like, one of the best effects movies of all time. No question. I'm not disputing that. What I am disputing is that the rest of the movie is kind of a sl- floppy mess. It's it's It could be trimmed down. It could be tightened up in a million ways. And it kind of doesn't really work at all. Um, it's just that the effects really carry everything. <laughs> and that's fine. It's incredible. It's still The Thing. The worst John Carpenter movie is better than every other movie we've talked about today except Robocop. <laughs> you know? I don't know. That... Ocean's Eleven's pretty good.
2: <laughs> S- Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven's pretty fucking good. Yeah. The
1: The Thing is better than most other movies. <laughs> Yeah. Is what I'll say. The worst John Carpenter movie still fucking great. But it ain't Prince of Darkness and it certainly ain't fucking Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> and it ain't Christine either. He doesn't say show it to me <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> no flaming car chases a man down a road in this movie. They don't have a man drive a flaming car. That's true. No gas stations blow... uh, You know what? Lots of things blow up in this movie. I'm (laughs) reversing that. There's lots of things blowing
3: up. But does anybody
2: anybody, uh, drive the thing that's blowing up?
3: No. See? Yeah.
1: It's pretty good, though. Yeah. Do you have a stair rating? F. There's no stairs in Antarctica.
3: You
2: heard it here, folks.
1: (laughs) They don't know how to build them there. (laughs) Um, also, also real quick, Nora showed me the, um, opening title sequence to the thing from another world, the Howard Hawks movie. And I was like, this kind of goes, I kind of want to watch this movie. This seems good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I'll, might I'll check out the thing from another world sometime soon. I don't, I haven't seen, I, I could double check this, but I don't think I've seen any Howard Hawks movies. Which is weird, because I have seen uh, The Aviator, <laughs> a yeah. movie about him, if I remember right. I might be misremembering.
3: Um,
1: I have seen The Aviator, and I think it's about him, but now oh, I'm... Yeah, I've seen some of it. I've seen a fair number of his stuff. I've seen Scarface. and then I've Yeah, seen... the original
2: Scarface I've seen.
1: Um... I feel like I've seen His Girl Friday, but I don't have it marked on Letterboxd as Watched pretty
2: sure I've seen bringing up baby um yeah I may mean, have seen his girlfriend I should do letterbox that's the the far smarter way of doing this for this hmm um not that I've necessarily uh marked everything let me do the uh Okay. Yeah. I
1: feel like I've seen his girlfriend.
2: His Girl Friday, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Bringing Up Baby, The Big Sleep, Rio Bravo, and Scarface—they've all seen.
3: Some I mean, of
2: these they may have also seen, but
3: thinking
1: of Scarface reminded me of something that I'll just throw out here real quick, <clears throat> listeners. I realized recently I haven't seen like any 30s movies, like hardly. I've seen a bunch of 40s movies, a bunch of 50s movies. Haven't seen, I haven't gone back to, and then I'm like a little, I've dabbled a little bit in silent movies. I kind of have a sense of like what's happening in the 20s. I feel like I have this huge gap of like, I don't even really know what's happening in cinema in the 30s, you know? Yeah. I know that sound comes along. I know that like The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind happen at the end of the decade and are huge hits. Um,. The code comes along, but I don't I, I I don't have any grasp of like, what are the classics of the 30s? What's what's happening in cinema? Yeah. Um, so if people have like 30s movies they like, whether they're Hollywood movies or non-Hollywood movies, feel free to hit me up with with uh, thoughts about that. I feel like you also have some uh, great like in the, the early 30s. Yeah, probably some, great some silent films. Yeah, probably some, like, late silent stuff that's really good.
2: Because also part of what's happening during this period is there is the the transition to the sound era, but, like, sound required, like... Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some development of, like, dubbing at that time, but there's also, like, to record on set was just, like, fucking difficult. Um, right. And so you get this, like transitional period where you get some really fascinating silent stuff that's happening in part because also like sound is happening and so the people who are doing silent are like very intentionally trying to do it for like like they know that there are these other things they can do with like camera movement and this kind of stuff right that you can't do with sound and so then like they're because they're like more aware of like how sound is going to limit things. I feel like they're also more willing to sometimes push things further.
3: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I just don't have a sense for, for the thirties at all, really. And I, I would love to start chipping away at that this year, you know, Um, start to like fill in gaps there. Haven't seen city lights. Like haven't seen, um, haven't seen any Chaplin. you know, haven't seen any, um, uh, you know, uh, Keaton. <laughs> yeah. Um just 1930s on Letterboxd. I've seen M, I've seen Frankenstein. The thi- the thing I know about in the 30s is the monster movies. I've seen Frankenstein and Dracula and King Kong and the Invisible Man. Yeah. M is really good. M is M is fucking fantastic. Um you haven't seen the original Snow White? Oh, I have. Okay. Uh you, I saw it as a kid. And then Nora and I were recently watching it on Disney+, Plus, and partially because we were distracted by how bad the restoration is, but we did not like it enough to finish it. Yeah. So I I don't have it marked on Letterboxd because it's like... Haven't watched it as an adult, you know, but I have seen it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Modern Times and City Lights are fucking great.
1: I'd like to see Freaks. Um, I know that movie problematic as hell, but I know that it's like a big influence on directors that I like, so...
2: Yeah, and also... Are, are you aware that I reference it sometimes? No. I well, also sometimes do you have the Gooba Gaba, Gooba Gaba, We Accept You, We Accept You.
1: Oh, that's where that's from? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that, like, David Lynch and Guillermo del Toro love that movie, you know? Yeah. You should watch
2: Stagecoach. I feel like you'll enjoy Stagecoach.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. <clears throat> um,
2: You should not watch All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, you yeah. Can ju- you can just say bye to that one. <laughs> um. I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone will come come I'm, at this podcast and say it's good, but I I think I, feel M, like I think
1: Jackson likes that movie.
2: I it's been a while since I watched
1: it. Maybe it's better than I remember.
2: Um, I should
1: watch The Man Who Knew Too Much. Yeah, Shanghai Express. The Man Who Knew Too Much. Another one of those like, if no, if nothing else, a huge influence on movies that I like. You yeah. know, Ninochka. Uh, I have an interest in the Doctor Mabusa stuff. Um, mabusa. Mabusa. Um, mabusa There's a bunch of Fritz Lang on the channel right now that I'm watching. Doctor Mabuse. Um, is um.
2: The
1: big heat. The big heat is not. But there's Manhunt is on. Um, I really want to watch Manhunt. Um, is the big one, and Scarlet Street.
2: Anyway, um, Wild at Heart.
1: Wild at heart. All right. So it's been a while. I'll establish rules here real quick. We're going to talk about wild heart. (laughs) Wild at heart. Wild at heart. In doing so, we can, question mark, will spoil the end of Twin Peaks if we so choose. All, All the David Lynch that we have seen between us is on the table to be spoiled. So if you do not want Twin Peaks spoilers leave now. There's stuff here and I might I might talk about specifics, I might not, you know, but there's stuff here that's going to yeah. tie into Twin Peaks. So, um uh if you would like a um <clears throat> spoiler-free Twin Peaks podcast, you can go to audioentropy.com, totally reprise, um, or <laughs> as it is presently known, my wife, she likes that reprise show. Um, has wrapped up their Twin Peaks season. And so you can go listen to Totally Reprise cover all of Twin Peaks. I feel like now that Totally Reprise has covered all of Twin Peaks, the percentage of our audience that has seen all of Twin Peaks has probably dramatically increased. You know? Yeah. <laughs> probably a lot of people were on that journey with with them and um, uh, know that we live inside the dream. Uh, but who is the dreamer? Um, other things before we get into this, um, scheduling stuff. Um, so we are not going to cover season two of Twin Peaks like we covered season one. You can go listen to those episodes and think, these are very good episodes of stairwells to understand why we're not doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Instead, we're going to cover kind of whatever comes to mind. We've picked our next two movies and they kind of tie into David Lynch. Maybe the next movie we pick after those won't tie into David Lynch at all. But yeah. you know, the next two things kind of conveniently tie in. Other things are um probably in the next week or so you and I are going to both watch Industrial Symphony number no. 1. Probably going to do that on our own time and bring that into yeah. the next episode that we do. Yeah. For people who don't know Industrial Symphony number no. 1 is a Stage play written by David Lynch, music by Angela Battle starring Nick Cage and Laura Dern. Um, uh, also featuring um, like J-, uh, J. Michael Anderson. Is that his name? Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. mixing, I'm mixing up J. Michael Straczynski and uh, uh, Michael Anderson.
2: Yeah. I don't know.
1: <clears throat> anyway, uh, stage play featuring a lot of the creative people that, uh, a lot of the casting crew of David Lynch stuff from around this time. Um, Julie Cruz is in it. Um Michael J. Anderson. Michael J. Anderson, yes. There we go. Um, so we we'll probably watch that next week and bring that in. Um, but we're not gonna cover that, you know, yeah. as a film because it's and not we'll, a film.
2: We'll like watch Twin Peaks in the background. Yeah. Um and talk about when it feels relevant or something. You yeah.
1: Know? We might do like a little check in. I'd love to make time to watch, like, the first episode of Season 2 together this week. But if the if time doesn't allow, we'll probably just start watching Season
2: 2 yeah. this week. You know? Yeah. Like, you asked me today what my plan was for tomorrow, and I gave a very indecisive answer that didn't help with your indecision. Yeah. And then, more recently, I remembered, oh, I remember what it's going to be, and it's going to be going to bed at 10 because I have to drive into work the next day. All right. So decision made.
3: Yeah.
1: Cuz my my is I was like, well, um do I want to like hang out with a friend and do a thing? Like do I want to spend time like watching a movie or whatever? Or do I want to like rest and recuperate from a really bad couple of weeks at work? And if you've got put and then going to bed early, sounds like I'm just going to stay at home and rest and recuperate. Yeah. Probably watch. I feel very I feel tonight excited about movies in a way I haven't in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think it's partially because my mental health is, like, bouncing back a tiny bit. A, a, the the tiniest amount of, like, work has really had me down the last few weeks. And today it felt like, well, work has me down, but I'm going to do the best to take care of myself despite it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's talk about Wild at Heart. Yeah. I think that's all the stuff out of the way. Um. So... Wild at Heart stars Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage. It it comes out in 1990. It is produced at the same time that uh, David Lynch is working on season one of Twin Peaks. Um, This is going to end up being a friction friction point in season two as they feel like, as a lot of the cast and crew of Twin Peaks feel kind of abandoned by David. Um, Obviously, Wild at Heart Kind of contributes to that later down the line, you know, um, as his attention is split between these two creative projects. Um, This um, wins the Palme d'Or. This is another, like, Lynch has gone from, like, director of, like, Eraserhead, tiny movie, very small number of people see it, the people who see it love it. He gets a little bigger with uh, Elephant Man. He gets the Oscar nominations. Dune puts him on another stage, but is also kind of a... It like, has a certain like scale to it, but also is a flop. Blue Velvet, beloved movie, be- beloved by critics, but also maligned by other critics. Twin Peaks is a huge, huge hit. And then... Wild Heart wins the Palme d'Or. they like David Lynch in 1990 is now receiving like popular acclaim and critical acclaim. That yeah. is, this is I think, but real... also
2: in like a because a lot of the a lot of the like because the box office is not huge for this. Mm-hmm. Like people aren't flocking the theaters to see it. This Wild at Heart I think is more of a critical darling. I mean it. it yes, it, it makes back its money. and, yeah. and some. Yes, but.
1: Critical Darling and I think, like, um crit- Critical Darling in a way that, like, I-, I think ends up supporting Twin Peaks in some ways of, like, look, he can do it all. He can make the yeah. popular thing and he can not sacrifice his vision. Yeah.
2: You know? But, like, most people are going and seeing Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're watching that on their TV. But this is, I think 1990 is the moment at which, like, David Lynch is at like is is at his closest that he's ever going to get to the center of American culture you know yeah um it's certainly the center of American cinematic culture and this is going to set the tone for like we have fully entered the 90s into twi- in in the David Lynch sphere you know yeah and his his career is going to take a lot of twists and turns over the next 10 years um and this feels like a huge like this feels like a shift to me in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. What did you make of the movie?
2: Um, I enjoyed it. I wasn't really expecting it to be a musical. Yeah. But knowing that uh, M loves this one uh, <laughs> made a lot of sense. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's a musical. Yeah. Um, it's definitely one where, one, I there are themes happening in this that are also happening in Twin Peaks, but Uh, Mm -hmm. David Lynch is able to talk far more explicitly about it Mm -hmm. Um, because like, you know, I guess also content warning for discussion of this. um, You know, I'll say this now before we continue in case people want to bow out. Um, But like, there's a explicit discussion of like a childhood rape and, Mm. um, you know, trauma from that. And like, there's also like extreme violence in this movie,
1: yeah so there's like two big content warnings that I'd give is that there's like a childhood rape that happens here there is um a a prolonged scene of like a woman being like sexually harassed assaulted a little bit like there's yeah i don't I don't wanna I don't want to get into the finer details of what's harassment and what's assault but yeah i' I'm, I'm gonna say assault just for yeah. And then there is then there is also and uh, uh, the the movie opens on a a very violent graphic and racialized killing. And that like sort of sits to the side of this movie in a really interesting way, I think. Yeah. Um and it's like the ways in which this movie is not about the racialized killing that happens there is is interesting, and I don't know. I don't want to get too much into thoughts about like Lynch's intentions with this, because I I don't feel I have a good handle on them. But we'll we will talk about this sort of. We we can talk about the race stuff and the lack of race stuff in this movie as we go on, you yeah. know, because <clears throat> I think that's important. Um, but yeah, so, um plot summary uh Nicolas Cage uh, plays a character named Sailor he is sort of a no good um kind of a, kind of a bum it seems like you know and the yeah. movie the movie opens on um him going down some stairs him going down some stairs he's approached by um a black man named Bob Ray Lemon um <clears throat> Bob says Bob Ray Lemon Everybody says all three names every time. Bob it Ray great. Lemon. There's a nice cadence to it. Yeah. Um. um uh, Bob Ray Lemon says to Nicolas Cage, and Nicolas Cage is also, he's with Laura Dern, who's playing the character of Lula. Yeah. You know? And she's like, I think visibly younger than him, but not like in a creepy way, just like, oh, he's like closer to 30 and she's closer to, you know, she's just about to cross the threshold into being 20. And it's, like, a little creepy, but not, like, the creepiest creepy. It,
2: Yeah, it's in that range of, like... I don't know. Maybe other people don't have this experience. Maybe this is, a, a, you know, the part of Michigan I grew up in. But, like, there's lots of, like, seniors who are dating, like, uh, guys who are, like, a ways into college or have even right. graduated from college.
1: Right. Totally, totally. Yeah. And you're, like, girl, I don't know that you should be hanging around with them. Not because... Of, Maybe he's taking advantage with you, but also I just, why are you? You should not be dating a guy who's still interested in high school girls like this. Yeah,
3: <laughs> you know, like
1: yeah. maybe he needs to go mature and like. <laughs> yeah, um, it
2: it is at that age where like, uh. Years between people just are so much more significant than, like, right. once, like, people get out of college, things just get so much more like, eh, you're all kind of just, like, in the adult world
1: now. Yeah. When my mom was 30, she married a man, like, 12 years older than her, and, like, no one ever battled an eye at that, Yeah, you know?
2: because you're just, like, fully functional adults rather than somebody, like, uh still kind of living at home with their mom and, like, going yeah. to
1: school. Yeah, yeah.
2: So I don't I, know if she's confirmed as going to school. Maybe she's, like, graduated or something, but right. do, do they talk, ever talk about her going to school? Well, so, it's
1: it's not touched on. What is touched on is that she's 20. So, okay, so, Bob Ray Lemon approaches Nicolas Cage and is like, Marietta, who is Lula's mother, told me... Played he, by play, um, Laura Dern's actual mother. Diane Ladd, an actress yeah. in her own right. Um, like, a acclaimed actress of many decades in her own right. I don't think either of us are super familiar with her. Yeah. I've, seen, I've seen her in some things, but she I don't terribly know her work super well. Anyway. Um,
2: but also, like, literally every actor working today pretty much seems to be a Nepo baby.
1: Oh, totally, totally, uh, totally, 100%. Yeah. Um, do not hold it against Laura Dern for being a Nepo baby. <laughs> anyway, Bob Ray Lemon says, uh, Marietta... Lula's mother told me you were trying to fuck her in the bathrooms um and um now she wants me to kill you or something and he pulls a knife Nicolas Cage brutally like, like as graphically as you can murder a man like pounding his he- head into the floor and kicking him and
2: throwing like, him into the wall and, yeah, yeah like
1: really brutalizes this man goes and does two years for manslaughter the thing is that when he gets out she's 20
3: Okay, so yeah. she,
1: and yeah, so she would have been eighteen. Then she would have been eighteen. Yeah. He does two years, gets out. Um, Marietta does not want uh, Lula with Nicholas Cage anymore. Um, is like, I need you two need to stay away. Lula is like, No, I want to go be with him. You can't stop me. And so she goes to be with him, and N- Nicholas Cage Sailor is like. I want to break my parole and run away with you to California, basically. Yeah. And so they do that, and it begins. It begins a road movie.
2: Well, before the road movie happens, though, we have to say, uh, especially us kind of doing a Twin Peaks podcast, even as we're sort of dropping the doing episodes of Twin Peaks. Um, They do go to see a speed metal band called Power Uh Mad. Uh, and then it becomes a musical scene, but that's also Audrey's dance, specifically from the Return. Yeah,
1: totally. I mean, I want to finish up the plot because, like, yeah. I've I've now hit. I just want to hit that this
2: starts like before the the road trip happens. Is you get like the first big musical number.
1: Yeah, there's um, gonna be a couple big nu- musical numbers. Yeah, but this is the first one. Um, so you get the big musical number, and they go home, and they have sex, and he's like, "I want to break parole." This begins a road movie. Sort of intercut with all of this stuff, and also with the road movie, um, is a lot of interesting stuff about memory, and, um, a lot of playing with information that certain characters have, you know? Um, I'll, I'll summarize, I'll I'll boil a lot of that down, that's doled out to you in very interesting ways, but just for the sake of the podcast and, like, the discussion, um, like, Nick Cage was a driver for a guy named Marcelo Santos, who is um, kind of a mob guy, yeah, basically. And Marcelo Santos is involved with Marietta, um, <clears throat> and a couple of years ago, um, killed Marietta's husband, Lula's dad. Nick Cage does not. Nick Cage like plays dumb about oh I never knew your dad but it turns out he did because he was Santos's driver basically and was was present for the murder and yeah. th- it's sort of like gradually revealed this is actually maybe why Marietta wanted um, did not did it one Marietta was soliciting Nick Cage in the bathroom not he was not soliciting her she was soliciting him and he said no. Um, And then she wants to have him killed. But maybe the actual reason that she wants to have him killed is because he knows about this murder, you know? Um, But also wants to have him killed because he is a thing between her and her daughter, and she so tightly wants to control her daughter's life, you know? Yeah, They do the road trip movie. There's various hitmen and detectives pursuing Sailor Lula. There's a lot of fucking, there's a lot of titties, there's a lot of characters this is there's a lot of this like cutting to somebody like
2: uh, a guy sitting in a room with just two women with their titties out next to him yeah there's a lot of when you say titties there is like you get sex scenes where you see like laura dern naked yeah but also they're just randomly titties constantly in this movie yes i just want that to be
1: clear (laughs) um um Eventually, they get to Big Tuna, Texas. Yeah. Um, Before they get there, I also want
2: to uh, yeah, a yeah, moment totally, here totally. is the, the car accident. Yeah, totally. They come across a car accident uh, where um, Sherilyn Fenn... Is the one person who is not just already dead from it, mm-hmm. uh, but is like bleeding out from her head and wandering around like con- in a confused state, looking for like her wallet and like other things, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of like stuck in this cycle until she she dies. And then mm-hmm. they're like, "Well, we should probably get out of here." <laughs> right. Um, at first, they're trying to like get her into the car to like help take her to like a hospital or something, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think it's just like important that, like, there's just also the sudden moment of, like, uh, yeah, walking into some other tragedy and then moving on.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, they get to Big Tuna, Texas. Um, Nick Cage goes to sp- speak with Isabella Rossellini, um, in a blonde wig, <laughs> blonde wig important. Um, and asks, Hey, we had a deal, you got to tell me. If Santos has a hit out on me, and Isabella Rossellini is like, no, he doesn't have a hit on you. How to, he doesn't have a hit out on you. You're fine. And he's like, okay, I believe you. Yeah. Um, and then Willem Dafoe stops by and is like, you ready to do that hit on Nicolas Cage we're supposed to do later? <laughs> I reordered events a little bit for the sake yeah. of comedy. <laughs> um, they stop at a motel, um, and they meet Willem Dafoe's character and Jack Nance's character, and like um, Willem Dafoe. Is a like small time criminal with some loose connections to Santos, um, who's going to do this hit on um, Nick Cage. Um, and his plan is that he's going to get he's going to get Cage into this like bank heist with him, and then an accident is going to happen. Basically, yeah. Um, an accident ends up happening to Willem Dafoe, who has his head blown clean off. Um, the cops. Take Nick Cage. He does another six years in prison. Um, also, I probably <coughs> should have mentioned that while they're at the motel, Lula is like, I'm pregnant. Um, yeah. And Nick Cage is like, well, I'm fine with that. If you know, we if can you have...
2: are. And she's like, I don't know if I. Am.
1: Yeah, I'll have your like, I will be a dad if you want me to be a dad. And she's like, I don't know if I want to be a mom. Six years pass. She keeps the baby. Nick Cage gets out of prison and he's like he comes and meet. she comes and meets him at the train station and he's like listen like we gotta like this isn't right I like I don't know that I can settle down I'm wild at heart um it's <laughs> the next five minutes people are gonna say wild at heart about seven times Yeah. um um I didn't talk about Grace Zabriskie <laughs> I barely talked about the mom who's super important. There's a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. Um,
2: so part of why I didn't Isabella Rossellini Yeah, so part of why uh Isabella Rossellini's blonde wig is important is that Grace Zabriskie uh is also in a blonde wig. Yes. Um and I think uh, is she, I think she's supposed to be the mother of Isabella I think Rossellini's so. character. I think so. Um cuz they have the same last name Durango. Uh-huh. Um and so, what the so Harry Dean Stanton's characters who put Lula's mom in contact with Santos like a long time ago and seems to have regrets about it. Um, what, what it
0: based
1: on a so this this movie is based on a novel by Barry Gifford and I saw Perdita Durango, um, uh, Isabella Rossellini's character was in blue text on, um. Wikipedia um and apparently um Rosie Perez and Javier Bardem were in a movie about that that side character that Isabella Rossellini
2: character (laughs) bizarre um anyway uh so Harry Dean Stanton kind of regrets putting Lula's mother in contact with Santos Uh um and is trying to go and also find like uh sailor and stuff um and then uh santos and especially like uh grace sabrisky's character Mm -hmm. do a hit on harry dean stanton yes
1: uh it's like a very bizarre yeah yeah um so weirdly sexually charged hit sailor and lula reconnect after he gets out of prison and he's like this isn't right um i can't be a dad um, I can't fit into your life. We've both moved on. It's been six years. Yeah. And he leaves, and he gets beaten. He the he gets the shit kicked out of him by just some random guys. And Cheryl Lee, the uh, a big motif through this whole movie. Lula really likes The Wizard of Oz. They've been talking about the r- yellow
3: bicolor. Yeah, they and...
2: they reference it. The you know, the, I think there's some referencing that's happening with like the road trip, and then totally. going into the. That. But the biggest one is that Lula's mom is frequently getting compared to the the Wicked Witch. Yes. Um, including, like, the first before any, like, other uh, Wizard of Oz stuff comes up, you get this, like, wild, like, dune ass. Mm-hmm. David Lynch shot of, like, the witch's fingers over the crystal ball. Yeah. Where you can, like, see, yeah.
1: uh, you know, Nicolas Cage and Lula in it or whatever. The fingers go across the crystal ball and then the head fades back in and says, I forgot to tell you about Paul Atreides. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: Harry Dean Stanton saying, mu <laughs> Um... Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how one of our, like, recurring in jokes has just become uh, saying in, like, a, a s- sort of a, a, like, vague southern country accent. Muladib. <laughs> we had a moment where uh, Emily watched this movie with us, which she often <laughs> doesn't with... Uh, this is the other thing that's funny is Emily watched this with us, which she often doesn't do with uh, stairwells movies because we watch weird movies. And this was definitely a weird movie. Uh, but also just by like dint of her deciding to watch this with us. Um, she even like briefly considered watching something on my laptop instead. <laughs> uh, she had to confront the fact that a movie that she really likes, Baby Driver, draws extensively from this film. <laughs> uh, but there was a part where we made a, a Muad'Dib joke that was like multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> and just she looked at us like we were crazy. People. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway, there's all this like wicked witch of the west stuff that's happening around the mom, um including oh,
3: hold, on, hold on! Hold on! This is your Hold on! Her sister was a witch, right? And what was her sister? A princess. The wicked witch of the east, bro. <laughs> Gonna you're gonna look at me and you're gonna tell <laughs> me that I'm wrong? Am I wrong? She wore dance. a crown and she came down in a
0: bubble. Hey Grow <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm not
1: fighting with you. Grow <laughs> up. Get educated. But- <laughs> <laughs> Shirley wears a crown and comes down in a bubble. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we might cut that. That might have sounded really bad. Yeah, well,
2: I'll, I'll make a mark and just like check and see how it sounds. Um, but anyway. uh, It's significant. There's like stuff around it where, um, like a a big thing is, uh, you get the like her throwing a glass of water at a photo of her mom, Uh and then that gets tied to like her mom, uh, having this like rejection, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and like dying like within the story, Mm -hmm. not like actually dying, but like within Lula's life, right? has, Has like died. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, then you get uh you get Nicolas Cage as Sailor mm-hmm. being like, I can't be a dad, and he just goes off walking, and then just a bunch of people out of nowhere surround him. Uh mm-hmm. and he just calls them all faggots, <laughs> and then they beat him up, and then while he's un- unconscious, uh Laura Palmer descends as uh-huh. the good witch.
1: Yes. Um <laughs> I think explicitly this is Laura Palmer on some level. Yeah. I Not, like, within, like, the canon of Twin Peaks or whatever, because I don't really give a shit, and I don't think but David like, Lynch... Yeah. But, like, this is Laura Palmer. This is, yeah. like, in 1990, people He's, watching this movie are like, oh, that's Laura Palmer.
2: Yeah, he is casting Cheryl Lee to be this, like, figure who only appears in, like, this dream space. Yes. Uh, as this, like, weird angelic... Good witch figure, yes. But um, yeah, she she descends and says, "Don't turn away from love, sailor." Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, Nicolas Cage, wakes up and apologizes to the men for calling them homosexuals, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that he, ha- he, you know, basically has to go be in love now yeah and just leaves and they just let him go they're like well he did say sorry for for calling us homosexuals uh and then he just like walks across a bunch of cars and goes and finds her yeah she's just like stuck in trap none of the cars are moving um and you know finally sings love me tender which Mm -hmm. this was this whole thing of uh so this is why i think we needed to, to to some degree talk about the power mad speed metal band, yeah, totally. Where totally, they're at totally, the totally. show and they're all just dancing like crazy. Um, You know, just the dance sequence is wild. <laughs> There's also a part where the it comes on the stereo and they just
1: stop the car and they just go fucking wild. Yeah, so so power mad. This band is playing. This is speed for, metal. This is the start of the show. They're playing yeah. speed metal. There's some like this... guy starts hitting on Lula. Yeah, Nicolas Cage. Puts a hand up toward the band, the band stops. (laughs) He is the conductor of this band. The band stops. And he's like, You better apologize to my woman. In a way where, like, I joked that, like, he staged all of
2: this. Yes. Totally. Like if this actually happens without like the logic of a musical. Yes. The only way that you could like make sense of this if this is a film trying to be realist uh-huh. is that he specifically stage it with the band and also with this guy, that the guy would hit on this girl and then he would put his hand up and do this big thing where the band then plays the music and then he sings. Yeah. Because also they immediately start playing
1: yeah, it's, an Elvis song. They play Love Me. Right. So they, they, they. Nicolas Cage, like, knocks around the guy a little bit. He's like, go get yourself a beer. Walk it off. And then he's like, hey, fellas, you know this Elvis song or whatever. Yeah. He doesn't even say an Elvis song. He says, you have the energy of E. (laughs) And do you know this song? And then, like, doesn't get two notes into it before they start playing along because this is musical logic. This is not, like oh, it's going to take them a second to recognize the song, and then the drummer's like, "Uh, oh, I I think it goes like this? I don't know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, they just are fully prepared. The speed metal band is just fully prepared to cover Love Me by Elvis. Yeah. Um, But it's it's Love Me, and then there's Love Me Tender. Right. And the whole thing is that he will only sing Love Me Tender to his wife. Uh Uh-huh. And so when he sings Love Me Tender at the end, it is like, let's get married, is what he's saying, by singing Love Me Tender. So
1: I have like a... I have a lot of like thoughts about this movie Capital T. Yeah. That's we've we've covered it now. That's, yeah. That that's the plot of the movie, right? Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts, capital T, about a lot of things happening in this movie. I have like I just as we were starting to talk started to get a small thought about the very ending of the movie that maybe can like lead us into yeah. broader stuff. Yeah. Also, we didn't talk about any of the, like, sexual assault stuff in this. But yeah. that's, like, a whole... It's all tied to Lula, and it's... There, there's a density to this movie that, yeah. like... Truly, David Lynch movies are just, like, dense with, like, things happening and imagery yeah. and and stuff. And also, it's, like, two hours and ten minutes, I think. Yeah. Two hours five, maybe.
2: But yeah. I, I guess, because I think some of it is also part of what's going on in this movie, um, is so she was raped when she was 13 by like a, her father's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he like died of a heart attack or no, a car crash or something. Yes. Which yeah, car
1: heavily crash. implied that Marietta is responsible for that car. Yeah. Because thing. she finds out Marietta yes. finds out.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, I think part of what's happening to is. So then like, you know, uh, she's with like
1: this sort of, bad guy sailor but he's he is sweet with her yes Um, he's sailor kind of no good because he doesn't fit into like sailor is not gonna get a job at the end of this movie you know kind of no good because he's not ever gonna like fit into the system he is wild at heart but he does fundamentally like love Lula and wants to take care of her. And maybe he doesn't know what how to do that. Maybe he doesn't know how to do right by her, but he wants to do that and he is committed to doing that.
2: Yeah. And he is always sweet with her. We we never see him being uh like violent with her yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. Um But so then there's the there's later the sexual assault that's um what is it? Uh Peru I Bobby think Peru. Yeah, Bobby Peru uh, who's the Willem Defoe character um, and a lot of it is like uncomfortable but I think also some of it is playing with like the way that a lot of women who are sexually assaulted will then develop fetish around stuff with mm-hmm. that too because mm-hmm. that's just part of how the
1: human psyche copes with things well and I think it's also about like I think it is and I didn't get to my thought about the ending but I w- I want to say this here yeah. I think part of what's happening in that scene is not just, like, Lula's enjoyment, question mark, uh, of it, but, like, the camera as a thing that, like, there there is something attractive to you as an audience member seeing this, like, beautiful woman in this situation, you know? And, like an implication of the viewer into the grotesquerie uh, that yeah. is happening here you know that yeah. like like i i think the i think that like the the camera is the sort of this like neutral observer right in some ways but the camera also is not neutral like yeah. like like we go from this very alienating wide shot to very close and intimate um, and there's things happening there um, and the things happening are bringing you the viewer into it. And you have to start thinking about, you have to start thinking about, am I enjoying this? What does this say about me that I'm enjoying this? Yeah. You know, um, it, it does not let you watch this and feel above it all, you know, yeah. and feel superior to it. it. wants you to interrogate things.
2: Yeah. And, and then... Part of what I, I was uh, also starting to say with this, too, is, like... Because what I think it is, in, And maybe people will disagree. Maybe people will see this scene and they just have a, a really... They just, like, don't like it the way that it ends up playing out. But, like, there's this trope that just exists in uh, lots of media, including just, like, Hollywood movies, mm-hmm. of, like basically the the sexual assault but then she ends up liking it or whatever yeah and i think it's like very intentionally playing with that and in a way that that uh is always uncomfortable with it that always wants you to feel uncomfortable with what's happening mm. but that it is also i think it, in the way that it is like portraying this it is having to contend or uh represent to some degree that people who go through these experiences might feel pleasure in the process of it. And that is like a thing that makes you feel worse. Yes. In some ways. Yes. That like, like I think like she doesn't come away from it being like, Oh, that, that Bobby Peruga, like he fucking, she fucking hates him. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Like Lula, I think is horrified by like the, the part of her that enjoyed it, you know? Um, but yeah, totally. Like this is also like, Another movie that I really love, Straw Dogs directed by Sam Peckinpah. Peckinpah is making like very lurid, nasty movies. And and very much features the scene of um Dustin Hoffman's character um his wife is is raped in one scene in the movie and um she enjoys it. Um and this is um emasculating to um Dustin Hoffman and this is like titillating to the audience and that's there's stuff happening there but like fundamentally deep down like Sam Peckinpah is making movies to make you feel gross and like <laughs> um I think I think David Lynch in playing in that same space is like drawing attention to like what it, what is the grossness I don't want you to just feel icky I want you to think about why this feels icky yeah. and all the things happening here.
2: I think another thing that's also happening in that scene, um, cause I don't know, again, there might be people, be people who watch this and they just thought it was really poorly handled and stuff. And like, you know, if you have the, the reaction to it with like that, like I, I can't tell you you're wrong. Yeah. You know, um, I think this stuff was interesting, but I also fully respect people who were like, no, that was, that scene was just really bad and mm-hmm. I hated it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another thing that's happening here, too, is, so, like, it finally ends when he gets her, which he keeps pressuring to say, like, fuck me, Peru, or, you know, whatever. Fuck me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- to, like, basically ask for it, which I think is then also complicating in in the way that, like, for people going through this experience, often the, like, ease of the experience, the, mm-hmm. the best way to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Is sometimes just to like go along with it until it's over. Yeah. Uh and so th- it's also for uh fronting that of like to what degree is her seeming to enjoy it, also her having to play along in order to like yeah. avoid like... this getting more dangerous for her. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. totally. Uh and I think all of that's in a, in the mix and it's why um like it's a very uncomfortable mm. scene to watch mm-hmm. uh of an assault happening. Um, but I think the way that some of it is like portrayed and handled is like interesting and is done well
1: Um, rather than somewhere you're just like oh god why did right. why
2: did they have to like put this in this movie
1: right Stra- um, straw dogs for all that I like that movie I think about it and I'm like why is that there you know yeah. whereas like... here
2: this like feels like an important part of the movie yeah like
1: the, the movie doesn't the, the movie work like th- this is integral to this is load bearing to the movie you know yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the ending just a, just a bit, because I want to think about like Sailor and Lula. I, th- I, I, I find Lula a more interesting character and I feel like yeah. we're going to talk about her more, but I want to think about Sailor and Lula. Cause I, I, I didn't quite know what to make of where they end up in this movie. I think it's very sweet when she goes to see him, and she says no to her mom, and her mom is undone by this. And the the like the water splashes on the family photo, and this is the Wicked Witch of the East melting, right? Or yeah. Wicked Witch of the West. Um, um, and then there's Nick Cage walking away, and I'm like, ooh, what a good poignant like reversal of what you expected. A, the a, a typical Hollywood movie um ends in this way. And then there's the this movie does the reversal. Oh, he's going to walk away. And then it reverses the reversal again. And in that reversing of the reversal it, you get you get the 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 angelic Laura Palmer figure descending in like one of the most iconic images in all of cinema, right? Yeah. And then the the next sort of image you get is Nick Cage running through a bunch of cars that aren't moving, right? And these are all like vintage cars. These are all like 50s like yeah. classic cars and he's running on all these cars and they're all like stuck and not moving. And then you get the the big musical number and it's very romantic and it's, it's all very good. Um, also Lula narrowly avoids two car crashes here. No, no, no. She, she narrowly avoids getting hit. And then they drive past another car crash, reminiscent of the the uh, uh, Audrey Horn one. Sherilyn Fenn. <laughs> yeah. Um, importantly, I don't think Sherilyn Fenn is just playing Audrey Horn here. You know. Although
2: she kind of is playing the Audrey Horn from The Return.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> she is definitely 100% playing Audrey Horn circa 2017. We haven't got to my other big thought about this movie that also just about this project as a whole yeah i and i just i don't quite know there's a lot of like stuff happening in that last five minutes and i don't quite know there's like an ambiguity here but i don't know like not that i want to get the meaning out of the ambiguity but i don't know like what's the thing i'm like chewing on what's the like What's the thing? What's the ambiguity that maybe I want to resolve? You know, it just feels like sort of ambiguous. Like, is this a good thing or a bad thing that they get back together? Yeah.
2: Uh, And to some degree, the ending of this is strengthened for me by the fact that I am married to a person who really likes the movie baby driver. Uh And so I have seen baby driver many times. Mm -hmm. Baby driver is a movie that ends with like literally like homaging the exact shot of like in the prison, reading the the letter right, or whatever. Right, 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 right. Um, right. baby is said so many times. Like uh, Laura Dern says, baby so many times uh-huh. in a way that Baby Driver is specifically evoking. Yes, by having the main character named Baby and having her say Baby all the time. And 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 Baby Driver, a movie. Even the joke in here a little bit of like the her kid, the you know their kid, uh, Lula names Pace. Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny for like a driver thing. Mm -hmm. And then this is also the reveal joke in baby driver of baby's name is miles.
1: Yeah. So, so anyway,
2: so I want to, I want to finish this, which is totally, totally, uh, you also get, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's like opening the prison, you know, gate and going out and it's, uh, you know, her in like basically the same dress that Lula has Mm -hmm. and, and on a vintage car and they like kiss Mm -hmm. and they're together. Mm -hmm. Um, but like baby driver, like I think is just fully bought into the like fifties nostalgia. Everything is like good. She like waited for him while he was in prison. Totally. Uh, and like, this is just like a, uh, you know, it is not complicated in the way that this movie is. This is exactly what I was going to say is that Edgar Wright, um, Watches Us. this and thinks that it it's just fucking great that they get back together
1: and it thinks it's great the the restoration of the heterosexual family yeah you know that the restoration of the heterosexual family is good in this movie and I think this I think this movie does the restoration of the heterosexual and family in a much more ambiguous way yeah and it is specifically like the whole like him getting
2: getting beat up is played so much for jokes hmm You know? Um, like, that's... The whole, like, faggots, and I'm sorry for calling you homosexual... Yeah. ...is, like, structured to be funny. Yeah. Um, the having, like... They've just been referencing Wizard of Oz through all of it, and then you have Glinda, like, mm-hmm. the good witch, descending. Uh-huh. Um, that is, like, all I think supposed to feel, like, over the top and kind of ridiculous. Um... But I think it's also getting at, like, part of, for me, what uh, is interesting about it is that I think it is an acknowledgement, and this ties into a lot of the stuff that's happening with Lula throughout this, of, like, Sailor is genuinely good to her, Uh uh-huh. wants to do right by her, Um, you know, is not violent with her. Uh, I have no reason to believe that that relationship would become violent, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, in many ways like this is probably going to be a, a there's going to be problems.
1: Yeah, these are the, these are not perfect people, but these yeah. are people who care a great deal about each other.
2: And like I think it it will be a good marriage. Uh-huh. You know. Um it doesn't seem like one where it's going to like end in divorce or like Paris, Texas
1: know. this is not. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um and so I think some of it is an acknowledgement of like no, she does just need the guy who is going to be good to her. Mhm you know yeah and still have like the hot
1: sex that she wants yes um this this is like fundamentally the thing on some level is that that kid is there and gets two lines on some level their relationship is about how good that dick is yeah (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that
2: yeah (laughs) um but it, it also doesn't like so much of the structuring of it wants to say that like both the like no we have to split up I'm wild at heart is also like an equally hokey ending uh-huh. to like that reversal ending and like oh I just all you know I gotta I gotta follow the road or whatever mm. like that's also a hokey ending to this kind of story like yeah. both of those are like also then the like oh she waits for him and then he gets out of prison and they get mm-hmm. together the baby driver ending that's also a stupid hokey ending yeah but that like love in some ways is a st- stupid hokey thing yeah and also that like what's happening i think at the end of that by by giving you the two possible endings like Uh where they break up or they stay together as both being kind of stupid and hokey endings Mm -hmm. it then like allows for something to exist in the middle where you're like ah like no movie is gonna like fully be able to give you the complexity of like and then you're like married and you have to have a relationship and you have to do stuff right and but by like By creating these two, by giving you the the endings that are possible within, like, the
1: structure of a film
2: like this. Yeah. It then allows to, like, suggest that something else exists between those two.
1: Yeah. Because, yeah, like, it it is genuinely very romantic. And it is also, like, literally, they're stuck in traffic. They, They spin the whole musical number spinning in place. Like, that's the thing that they're doing. Yeah. Is just revolving around this one point, you know? Yeah. Um, I I suspect that these two are going to break up 12 more times and get back together 13 more times. You know? (laughs) Um... But also they didn't get
2: back together because they're good for each other. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, you know he
1: just he's got to start doing the fucking dishes. I swear to God, this motherfucker has never done a dish in his life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Um. This movie was fantastic. This right? movie's fantastic. Uh, so so a thing I said to you, we were I was like, what are you gonna give this movie on Letterbox? And you were like, yeah. I think I did four and a half. You did end. four and a half. I gave it four. And I, I, the thing I said was, like, I feel like watching this movie this time, it was, like, a four-star movie for me. But that, like, I could Im- easily imagine that I sit on it, that we do this podcast, and I have a lot of thoughts, and then I, like, sit on it, and then I, like, watch it again next year, and I'm like, I was crazy. This is a five-star movie, you yeah. know? It's, like, the 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 moment-to-moment moment of watching it was not, like... As intensely, just like intensely my bullshit as Blue Velvet is, or the yeah. pilot to Twin Peaks, you know? Yeah. Um, or not, and not as like transcendently just like, this is all the possibility of cinema it, it, that that is Mulholland or Firewalk with me. Yeah. Um, but there's just so much in this movie that just, like, bears... T- like, we haven't talked hardly at all about the Grace Zabriskie yeah. and Harry Dean Stanton. We haven't talked...
2: For, for me, and this is why I, I rated it in that moment, uh, 4.5, because we were kind of talking about this, and I, I could feel it in my bones, mm-hmm. that this is a uh four-star-in-the-process-of-watching movie, five-star when you think about it.
1: Yeah, totally, totally.
2: You know? Because also, it's a movie where, like, while I was watching it, I was like, this movie's a little bit too long. And now I think about the movie, I'm like, there's so much shit happening in this, and some of it, yeah. like could have explored more
1: (laughs) yeah it feels long because it because it is a little over two hours and there's very trademark um lynch like um long like slow scenes you know um but in the in the long slow scenes there's so much happening you know yeah um the 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 Bobby Peru like assault on um uh, uh, Laura Lula. Dern's, Lula um is a really lo- exceptionally long scene but the the length of the scene allows it to bring out all the stuff that we talked about yeah. um you know uh the 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 Jack Nance cameo um is kind of long but one I would not rush Jack Nance. That man can deliver his lines as slowly as he would like, and two, yeah, like you just you cannot get out of a David Lynch movie without that scene. Like the the all the David Lynch movies are about that scene. It's that yeah. Jack Jack Nance gives the No Eye Bunda monologue. It's incredible. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, Jack Nance gives the No Eye Bunda
1: monologue. Yeah. Perhaps you picture a dog. Perhaps you even picture Toto. <laughs> I should I, so Jack Nance. They they meet uh, Jack Nance in this like motel trailer park in Big Tuna. Yeah. And um, he, he's actually the the character he's evoking most to me is um the the Paul character from Blue Velvet, where he's just getting in Kyle MacLachlan's face periodically, and they're like I'm Paul clap <laughs> Yeah. Um, he's like got that energy but uh, the thing he's saying here is do you, do you want me to read this yeah go, go for it uh, my dog barks some
2: <laughs> mentally you picture my dog but I have not told you the type of dog which I have perhaps you might even picture Toto from Wizard of Oz <laughs> but I can tell you my dog is always with me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's, like, existing in this moment, like, somewhere between Paul from Blue Velvet, um, the Log Lady, um, Pete, No I Bonda. He is, like, all of these things c- colliding into one, and it is the most, like, like... I think it's easy to watch all these movies that we've watched and think, here's my here's my big thought about this movie. Here's like the big <clears throat> thought that I have that sort of sits to the side of all the things that we've said is that there's not a single thing that happens in The Return that does not get, that is not part of his prior body of work. Like, yeah. Like everything that happens in Wild of Heart happens again in some new way in the return, you know yeah. everything that happens in blue velvet happens in the return every everything is there in the return. Um, and I think I think that what because of that, I think it enriches both experiences. I think it enriches wild at heart to see stuff and to see, oh, this idea gets twisted and transformed and taken into um, the return. And this this scene with Jack Nance talking about the dog, mentally you picture him, but I haven't told you what type of dog I have. Um perhaps you picture famous dog from cinema. You're watching a movie right now. <laughs> yeah. Um it's reminiscent But actually my dog is just me intimidating you and barking. Yeah. I am my dog. Yeah. It brings in um, you know. You think about the the Paul character. You think about, um, are you a detective or a pervert? You think about Noai Bonda. And seeing the connections, to me, I think just makes all... I think it's easy to watch this and think, oh, this is hacky. Oh, David Lynch, d- do something new. You, you keep doing the same things over and over. I think getting the repetition of the ideas with slight variations um, and drawing the connections between all these things, I think only enriches each individual thing for me anyway. Yeah. You know?
2: Well, I mean, some of it is just like when you are an artist and you are interested in things and you return to them. Uh-huh. Um, but also, like, I think it's called The Return for a reason. Yeah, totally. I think that the overall, for me, the project of Twin Peaks The Return is David Lynch, an old man looking back on his body of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially his, his, like, movies and, mm-hmm. you know, TV show. Yeah. Um And... And thinking about that and talking about that, and a lot of it, I think, also engaging with things around old age. Yeah, Um, yeah. Like To me, like, the newest thing from what we've seen so far, maybe this will change as we get David Lynch is getting older. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, the newest thing in The Return is all the stuff around, like, Dougie specifically pointing towards, like, when you are aging and, like... you know, senility and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, Like the fact that so much of that cast is just old. Yeah. Uh, Cause they're bringing back so many people who were in the original show and they're just old now. You, you, know, know? you know, the, what's the young kids in that show, like Audrey Horn are like uh fully like MILF now, like old MILF, <laughs>
1: you know? <laughs> you know, what's funny is um, watching the return in 2017, it was so easy to speculate, oh my God, David Lynch, he did it again. He he left for 10 years and he came back and he did it again. I wonder if we're going to get season four. I wonder if we're going to get another movie. I wonder if we're going to get this. Now, a few years on from that, um, it feels a little more final. It feels like, oh, maybe David Lynch is never going to make another movie. Maybe we've seen yeah. the end of it. Genuinely, watching watching this movie... Uh, with Angelo Badalamenti having passed now, and Angelo Badalamenti is putting in work on this movie. Yeah, he's fucking crushing it in this movie. Um, like, uh, he is like the score he does for this movie. I thought I thought his work on Blue Velvet is like was exceptional. I think I think his score for Blue Velvet is like truly like a notch above any other film score of its decade. You know, um. And, and this is like, oh, my God, how does he do this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Genuinely, the passing of Angelo Badalamenti, thinking about that while watching Wild at Heart, I'm like, you can't do Twin Peaks. I don't, I don't think David Lynch can make another movie without Badalamenti. I don't think I want to watch another David Lynch movie without Badalamenti. Like, I yeah. don't know. Like, <laughs> the, the two the two things, like, constitute each other. <laughs> you know? Like, you cannot have one without the other um we we got three of them. you raise your head the elephant man and dune they ain't half as good as the good shit yeah <laughs> uh D- dune is half as good as the good shit dune is yeah. exactly half as good as the good shit <laughs> um and it's not for
2: the dune stuff no it's not it's not for the stuff that's from the book. it's all the stuff where uh David Lynch was just getting in his own little weird stuff. <laughs> He's just having Jack Nance stand in the corner like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'm doing a little face
1: here. He is the Kwisatz Hatterach. Yeah. I forgot to tell you about Paul Atreides.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, you may imagine, <laughs> you may picture the Muad <laughs>
0: But I have not told you the killing word.
2: (laughs) But the Muad'Dib is always with me. It is the killing word. Muad'Dib!
1: Patrick Stewart voice,
3: (laughs) Muad'Dib!
0: Remember Patrick Stewart being in that movie? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Uh...
2: Um... Anyway, uh, we are fast approaching
1: three hours of this podcast. I feel like I have so much more to say about this movie. And also I feel like I got, I feel like I got everything from this first viewing out, you know, yeah. I feel like maybe like, I'm going to watch this again and be like, oh, I've, I seized on this little detail. Because right now, like, I didn't talk about Grace Zabriskie at all. Yeah. And I think she's great in this movie. But I don't, I, I don't really know how to fit her and Isabella Rossellini into my thoughts about the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Maybe I'm gonna watch this part of like second the time. start of it, but not enough to like fully. Yeah, yeah. And and David Lynch movies are full of weird dangling edges. You know, uh,
2: I keep thinking of the just because. Uh, so like when I was in undergrad, I would drive from. Uh, Marquette Michigan all the way down to Savannah Georgia to see when I had my spring break I would go down to see uh, Emily who is like having classes because mm-hmm. uh, I went to Northern Michigan University and she went to SCAD um and that's just a road trip where you're like I'm just like driving through the Appalachians and stuff mm-hmm. um and just like stopping at like random middle of nowhere gas stations just because I need gas now um And so there's this part where they just stop at a gas station. There's just this old man sitting out front who's just smiling and, like, nodding at them. Mm -hmm. Um, And just is, like, seeming, like, maybe slightly out of it, but also is just, like, having a good day and is Mm -hmm. just, like, happy to see some people roll by. Uh, And I've just seen so many old men like that doing road trips. Yeah. Um, Totally. I, I keep thinking of it as just, like, this is one of those moments that, like isn't that important, but also just, like...
1: Sticks out in your mind.
2: Is a part of the texture of a film like this. Yeah. You know?
1: I, I was thinking about that with, like... There's just, like, those three old guys hanging out in that one scene with, like, um, Marcellus and Marietta. And they're just, like, there. They're just, like, three three old men who, like... So... Seem to, like, work at the hotel or whatever. Yeah, they seem to work at the hotel. Importantly... um. Two of one of them is in crutches. One of them has a cane, and the other like limps, right? Yeah. And then you cut from that scene to the Juana Durango, uh, big, um, like killing Harry Dean Stanton scene, um, and she has a cane all through that. And I'm like, oh, there's something happening here with like characters who have trouble walking. I don't have another thought that follows on from that, but I'm like, yeah. oh, here's like a motif I'm noticing. You yeah. know, and that adds to the texture of the movie. Even if I don't have like, this means this, and that means that. You know. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> real quick, I just wanted to, because I think Grace Zabriskie is incredible in this movie for the little bit of screen time she gets. Um, the orgasmic pleasure that she takes in killing Harry Dean Stanton, I could not stop thinking about her taking the face off. Yeah. Um, and killing that guy. <laughs> um face off. In the in the bar.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Um. Truly, truly,
2: man. You want a film uh, about restoring the heterosexual <laughs> nuclear family, man? Face Off.
1: Um, no movie's ever done that funnier than Face Off, does it? Yeah.
2: Um. Anyway, I I don't think I'm that big of a fan of Nicolas Cage. There's definitely Nicolas Cage movies that I enjoy, mm. but um, I and in this, I think he's great in this, but I also don't think he's like really giving you the Nicolas Cage performance that people would expect most of the time. There are a couple of times where he has, like, his weird over-the-top, like, Mm -hmm. uh, especially towards the end.
1: Laura Dern is, like, irreplaceable in this movie. She's incredible. I can't... It's really, 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 really hard for me to think of who you would replace Nicolas Cage with in this movie. But you could do it. You could do it. I, I, I cannot think of the actor who could pull it off. But... Yeah, I'm not saying you couldn't do it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I feel like I,
2: like I like him. There's movies that he's in that I enjoy like a lot. I like him in some movies, but like I guess I don't fully get the people who like just love watching Nicolas Cage movies for Nicolas Cage. I just don't like him that way. Yeah. And some sometimes when he is being is like really weird and over the top acting. I think it's it just, one of the, like I, Vampire's Kiss was like there's maybe a way that you could have used it to like. Say something, but they kind of just let him like go in a way that, um, it became more about him just acting weird and bizarre and not fully like pulling out what that's saying about the way that men are allowed to behave in these situations and stuff.
1: I think, um, the thing, I think a lot of the Nicolas Cage thing is like it grows out of like internet irony culture of the late mm-hmm. 2000s and has just sort of like lived on in a way that like irony has not gone away but like like people are sort of aware that irony is like passe and are like mostly like most of the people that i talk to on a day-to-day basis are like tr- try to be earnestly into things and i think Nicolas cage is like one of those things that made the transition from oh we all like this in 2009 ironically ironically and now in 2019 we like it just because we like it you know um and this is how you get a movie like pig yeah
2: (laughs) which is fine but like
1: yeah yeah um yeah but yeah i liked him in this i liked him i liked him quite a bit in this but also laura dern that you know what i heard I heard that snakeskin jacket is a symbol of his freedom and individuality.
2: You know what I heard? Hmm. Nicolas Cage just had that and it just kind of works for the character.
1: You know what I heard? We were so taken with Laura Dern in this movie that you were like, we got to watch Smooth Talk next. And I was like, yeah. the thing is, every time we've seen Laura Dern in anything, I've been like,
2: oh, we should watch Smooth Talk.
1: Yeah, well, no, no, no. He's like, we
2: saw, we saw, like, there's when we watched blue velvet and we thought about just putting on smooth talk immediately after.
1: Yeah. here's what happens is that you're like, "Oh, you got to watch Smooth Talk." And I'm like, "Yeah, I got to watch Smooth Talk." And I just never do. So we're like, "Let's just put Smooth Talk on the schedule."
2: Now that we are not trying to go through and do episodes about all the Twin Peaks and we're just going to watch Twin Peaks on our own. Yeah. You know,
1: we're back to picking movies. Let's let's tie the next movie into this movie a little bit and do smooth talk. So, yeah. Um,
2: you want to do the one that's like me after that? Too?
1: Yeah. Um, and so we'll do smooth talk next week. And then the week after that, we just wanted to go see sunset Boulevard because yeah. the music, the music box is, uh, playing, um, sunset in 35 millimeter. They're playing a bunch of, um, Billy Wilder stuff, but, um, sunset is the one that we care about. Um,
2: also compared to some of the other stuff it was uh, far enough away from Christmas right there was
1: that... like I I would have liked to have gone and seen the apartment because I've never seen it before or I would have liked to have gone and seen this but it was just like ah stuff's not really working out Sunset that's at the end of the month that's the movie that we both love I'd love to revisit it it's been a long time um so yeah we'll do smooth talk next week uh, and then Sunset Boulevard the week after that yeah. There's a chance, because we're going to go see that movie on, like, Saturday, right? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's a Saturday. Okay. I was going to say, I had a moment where I was like, is that is that on, like, a Monday? Because if that's, like, on a Monday, there's a chance that, like, that episode comes out a little late. But we'll do it that week, you know? But if it's on yeah. Saturday, yeah, I think it's a Saturday, we'll probably be able to just, like, watch the movie and then talk about it that night.
2: Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, because... Mm.
1: I might have I might have uh, Ghost Divers, but we'll see. Yeah. And then the week after that, I'm going to the Siskel Center to see War and Peace. <laughs> the Soviet War and Peace. Yeah. Um, so I will have a I will have a book report on, on that movie. But um Nia, where can people find you online? Um people can find me at
2: Fox Nia on Twitter and co host. I've uh pinned posts on both of those. That linked all of my podcasts. Um, <gasps>
1: what? We have questions.
2: We have questions. I was going to force you to do this like first thing when we recorded, and I didn't.
1: So, so, so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, it's so nice. I feel like, you know, we're coming up at 250 in the recording here. Um, I was like, oh, I feel kind of like fresher than I usually end these episodes. <laughs> I feel like more renewed. Luckily, we have we have questions. Um, our first question comes from Aiden. Um, congrats on another fantastic year of stairwells. Um, favorite new movies of twenty twenty two from Aiden. Um, RRR. R Tar. The Fablemans. I'd really like to see The Fablemans. Yeah, I want to see RRR as well. But... I'd, I'd like to see R. I'd like to see Tar as well. I I know nothing about it. I know a lot about it. Okay. Decision to Leave and uh, Crimes of the Future. I'd like to see Crimes of the Future, but I have Cronenberg, either Cronenberg higher on my list, you know. Uh, Decision to Leave we should also watch at some point. Yeah, totally. But... Favorite Things I Saw for the First Time in 2022. Um, drive My Car, Paris, Texas, Ikidu, Close Encounters, Runaway Train. Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, Black Narcissus, Until the End of the World, Osaka 1 and 2, Beyond the Infinite 2 Minutes. Um, I'm not going to weigh in, because that's just Aiden's list. Yeah. A big takeaway I had was that uh, Hamaguchi Ryusuke and Vim Vendors are two directors who hit really hard for me, taking up the second half of that list. Um, I could also put like five more Kurosawa Kira movies on there, but oh well. Uh thank you for all blah 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 blah. They're just saying nice things to us at the end. Thank you, Aiden, for this list. Um yeah. Aiden also sent us other emails that'll have more questions. Next is the modern email that we talked about. Um Yeah, using the uh, uh just pointing a flashlight into the camera
2: lens to get the flares.
1: Yeah. ridiculous. Next... <laughs> so fucking I hate him so much. Next email is from Joao. Um hell um <laughs> not validating joe not reading how they signed the emails how we signed the emails my favorite movies watched in 2022 were seed of chucky bride of chucky paris texas rrr a brighter summer day mikey and motherfucking nikki question which covered by stairwells um which movie covered by stairwells should actually be based on real life events <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we know that Wings of Desire is based on real life events. Yeah. So, um, let me look.
2: It's it's factual. Every it's a documentary.
1: <laughs> um, not cure. Yeah. Not the third man.
2: <laughs> I mean, uh, battles without honor and humanity too is based on real life events.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the classic here. Face off. Yeah. That should have been a real thing that happened. Two guys should have switched faces in real life. How do you know they didn't? How do, how would I know? How would I know
3: that that didn't happen?
1: Maybe it did. Liam Neeson should have won two
2: Oscars. Um, the taste of tea would be a funny one too just because that would mean that there would be a moment where we all got enveloped in a giant sunflower
1: good I'm gonna be okay listeners it's been a few months I can I can make a confession here when we watched the taste of tea I was high as shit (laughs) Yeah. So if, if you listened to that movie and felt, if you listened to that episode and felt like, wow, Autumn doesn't really remember this movie they watched two days ago, there's a reason for
0: that. No, we
2: recorded that like immediately after we watched it. You were still blazed when we recorded it. I was it. fucking gone. That's dude. why that episode is so short. <laughs>
1: I watch a lot of movies high and come and talk about them on the podcast. I do not watch stairwells movies while high. Yeah. <laughs> generally speaking. But that one. I mean, that's a good one to be high for. Oh, yeah. I had a great time. <laughs> House is based on real life events.
2: Yeah. Wisdom
1: Tootin, based... <laughs> Tootin is based on the real ass event of going to the fucking dentist. <laughs>
2: Um, all of the, all of the vampire ones we've watched should be based off of real life events. Yeah. Um,
1: you know so that vampires
2: people. are even more real than they are because I'm a real life vampire. Yeah.
1: Um, next question from Aiden. Which actor do you wish made their own app, like the Jeremy Renner app? I don't know what the Jeremy Renner app is. Jeremy Renner tried to do like, uh, uh, Twitter or TikTok type thing, basically, like a social media platform. I'm thinking... Beat Takeshi. Yeah, there should be like a Beat Takeshi app for like...
2: Because you know about the games he made, right? No. it's You don't know about uh, Beat Takeshi's games? No. At some point, we should watch the um, Retro Game Master episode about it. Uh it's like notoriously made to be like annoying to play and frustrating. Mm. Like there's a part where uh you're supposed to like leave a a sheet of paper in like the sun so that the ink will appear for like an hour or two and what that means is you have to like open it up in the inventory so that you see it and then just leave the game running and like not push any buttons for like an hour or two. <laughs> um there's a part where cuz there's a little tiny mic on the the like Japanese um, Super Famicom controller, I think it was a Super Famicom game, uh, where you have to sing karaoke, okay, into the mic. Yeah, weird. Uh, just like his games are like notorious. Beat Takeshi's games that he made are like notoriously hostile to the player. Uh-huh. Um, and so I want him to make an app that. Hopefully, like, blows up like Twitter does, but it's just, like, in his specific way, hostile to the people using it.
1: I was thinking... Not that, in the
2: way that most social media is hostile to the
1: user. When you said beat Takeshi, I had a thought, and maybe we can bring these two ideas together. Which is that, like, it's a... It, it ties into Google Maps, and you can search, like, oh, I want to go to a Mexican restaurant in your area, right? Yeah, yeah. It will only show you Mexican restaurants with a liquor license and it will only, it will tell you how many drinks can you have here before it gets weird. You know, is this a like one margarita with dinner type of place or is this like a six margaritas type of place? <laughs> um, is this it, sushi place? Like how much sake can I have before I ruin the night <laughs> at the <this> sushi place? <laughs> yeah, here.
2: Uh, Takeshi's challenge. Mm hmm um yeah we should watch the the retro game master one about this do you know retro game master
1: uh yes i do yes okay. i think you. i think you've shown me one or two of his videos their videos yeah. I... um yeah he's the
2: like japanese guy who tries to play through a bunch of old games yeah okay
3: yeah, yeah.
1: um also the the I don't know that I've seen his videos, but I think you've mentioned him on this podcast yeah. before. I think that's it.
2: The like DS or like 3DS or whatever game that he made. Um the Beat to made or No, the... The, the, Retro... the Retro Game Master guy made uh is great as well. Um let me double check if cuz I think Retro Game Master is the name of the the game. Game Center CX is the actual Japanese title. But Retro Game Master is like the localization. Okay. Um Yeah. You should just watch
1: it sometime. Totally. As as fans of B. Takeshi. Um Crystal asks Which stairwells film would look best if rendered with the graphical capabilities of the Sony PlayStation 3? Um I mean Wild at Heart would be pretty good. Well, heart would be pretty good. Um I I read this a few days ago and had a thought about it and I Angels of the Universe <laughs> <laughs> There's something very funny about Angels of the Universe. Um um Oh This God. is this is a different thing, but there should be a manga adaptation of Pale Flower. Yeah. That's a different thing entirely. Yeah. That's not the question you asked, but I do. Want oh, that. oh! You know what it is? It's Suicide Circle. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> that'd be good. That would be good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there are any other good ones here.
1: Um,
2: I mean, I just want to play the Micro Commando Diatron Five video game. Yeah,
1: PS3 video game specifically.
2: Yeah. Um, that'd be great. I'm so excited to, at some point, watch Edeon and be like, oh, I know all these people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, next question is from Hunter, who asks, hey, Nian Autumn, what's your favorite mid-2000s comedy? I don't know if this is mid as in, eh, or if it's mid as in 2004 to 2006.
2: Yeah, Um, this is like right around the period where uh, I am falling out of favor with these kinds of stuff.
1: Um, Um, I have an affection for dodgeball because it's like when we owned 12 DVDs, dodgeball was one of them, which meant we watched dodgeball many times yeah you know
2: i don't know that the the hangover is like really getting into that like that spot where i where i drop off
1: yeah the hangover is like the 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 moment when i kind of stop watching these i watched the hangover and then i was like i think i'm kind of like done with this type of movie and luckily so did most of the rest of the culture you know (laughs) this type of movie has gone the fuck away i know i've talked about this before but i fucking
2: hate napoleon dynamite so much I know you do. Uh, The thing is, I'm looking at, like, I had this weird affection for School of Rock, which is showing You Yeah,
1: School of Rock. School of Rock, genuinely a really good movie. But, like, I
2: was, like, going through a bunch of that stuff right below... So I just typed in mid-2000s comedy Mm -hmm. into Google, uh, and there's the popular mid-2000s comedies, and I was, like... Going through that, the entire time right below that is romantic mid two thousands comedies, and I'm like, 40 year old Virgin was like kind of funny. Mm. Um, like I enjoyed that. Legally Blonde, that's fucking
1: great. Le- Legally um, Blonde is like a step above the rest of these movies. Yeah, Legally Blonde is just
2: like that's just a good movie. Yeah, that like, is, not, that's not that's that is mid two thousands in terms of
1: yeah, like like School of Rock is like oh yeah, I know guess what, it's early two of- thousands. It's it's not mid
2: in any definition of the word.
1: School of Rock is surprisingly good. You yeah. would think that School of Rock would be bad, but it's good actually. Legally Blonde is just a classic of cinema. Yeah. But yeah,
2: no, this like romantic comedies place in the mid, like, um, hitch. I feel like this is just where like I oh, watch more pitch. of it, where I have more uh, like weird affection, where like none of them are like mm-hmm. good, but like... Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them. Whereas I go through a lot of these and I'm like the ones up here, like Zombieland is up here. Um, Idiocracy is here.
1: Eternal Um, Sunshine is a movie that I have a deep affection. I had a deep affection for when I was 15, but I suspect it does not hold up.
2: That's what I'm looking at. Like, is that a... But like Zoolander's... Like, I feel like a lot of people say this and are expecting like the Zoolander style things. I mean, this is 2001, but like the stuff that came over that's in this vein. Uh Uh-huh. You know? Um, And that's just not where my... My heart is when I look at this stuff, so really, I feel like School of Rock is the answer for me. Yeah,
1: School of Rock Legally Blonde. If I'm if, kind of if... going
2: into like what is what do people mean when they're talking about this, usually,
1: yeah. Um, next question
2: Do is... you know that I have a uh, School of Rock on UMD? It's the only movie I own on UMD. I did not know that it came uh with. So I got the the PSP that had uh, School of Rock and um, – actually, maybe it's not on UMD. Maybe I only got it as like a download or something. But And then had the uh, Rock Band Unplugged.
1: And then we answered Eno's question about what kind of motorcycle would we have, right? Did we? Yes, we did.
0: Oh, were... yeah, we did. Yeah, we did.
2: Yeah, because so... I wanted us to specifically do
1: the one that was – for the the episode that we were doing, okay.
2: have we gotten anything for
1: Wild at Heart? Um, I, we never did a questions post. Um, yeah. so let me just, I'll open up the export email and just see. Because listeners, I was reading all that from like screenshots I sent me a week ago. Um, I'm just gonna double check here. Oh, we got something from Shuo. If you have to change the main character from a movie cover by stairwells with James Early. <laughs> Which would be the best and worst picks? Mine is James on In the Mood for Love. Um, I mean... Earlier in this episode, I talked about... You could replace Nicolas Cage in this movie. I don't know who with, but you could. James Hurley. James Hurley. Yeah.
2: Also his motorbike, Her Island, James Hurley.
1: James Hurley, yeah. These Hurley, are ones Hurley. where it would be good. Yeah, this yeah. this would be good. I don't... <laughs> good. I would. I want the James Hurley version of. I want the. I want them. I want the American remake of his motorbike her island with James Hurley. S- with James Hurley, and I want the James Hurley version of Wild at Heart to totally erase the Nicolas Cage one from existence. You know. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. I and want
2: someone to just, like, use whatever Disney tech that they do to, like, you know, de-age people and whatever uh-huh. to to just put James Hurley in the place of Nicolas Cage in <laughs> Wild at Heart.
3: <laughs> but
1: but for his motorbike, I want, like, a, a C-list 90s director to get a bunch of Twin Peaks actors to try and cash in on something in, like, 1993. Like, just a moment too late to be doing this. Yeah. Um Dune Fantastic Yeah Um Okay Here's a question for you If you put James Hurley In face off Who's he playing opposite Nicolas Cage No (laughs) Bobby Bobby's a good choice Leo's a good choice
2: Leo's also a good choice
1: Um who else? Who else? I'm trying to I'm trying to go weird with it. I'm trying to but I can't. Yeah, I can't. I think I think it's got to be Bobby.
0: Um,
2: is this main character is that who are?
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, but I mean if you have a thought for like oh you could have James Hurley be the guy that gets cucked in uh, Emma go for it I mean that would be funny one but... of many men who gets cucked in Emma really <laughs> yeah um
2: the the other one so police story sure James Hurley that would be funny
1: that would be good. 'Cause he's
2: not gonna be able to do them all the, the moves and the no. humor. Yeah, he's no. not gonna be able to pull off the stunts. He's
1: gonna have Jackie Chan as his stunt double.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> James Early is the main guy in Pale Flower. God <laughs> Uh, there's one that I had and now it's like uh I'm losing it.
1: Um Okay, okay. I, I saw something in the sheet. You you remember how high-pitched his voice gets when he sings Just You and I. Yeah. Now, I want you to imagine that high-pitched voice singing Tokyo Nagare Mono. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, uh, as one of the boys in Itumama Tamien. Sure. That one would be Opposite good. Opposite Bobby.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. James and Bobby just need to learn to fuck at the end of the movie.
2: Yeah. Is that it do we have any others that's a, that's everything okay
1: thank you Joel.
2: so you can find me uh, uh on twitter and co-host at fox mom nia check my pinned t- uh tweet or pinned post. um links to all of my podcasts so in addition to this one uh ghost divers um to me i feel like we're coming back Mhm. You know, we just recorded the question bucket for Kino's journey after not recording the last time we recorded was the the New Year special and the last time we recorded before that was a while ago. It was the mm-hmm. question bucket for Paranoid Agent.
1: I think that's part of why there's a really good energy on the New Year special episode and I think that's part of why is cuz like you two just have not gotten to do this in a while.
2: Yeah. Um but so so we're back. Uh, but also we didn't leave from people's perspective because it's uh-huh. just us tightening up the turnaround. Um, but I'm excited. We're gonna do. We're gonna do Iron Blooded Orphans. So if you can't wait for GGP to get to IBO, good news. <laughs> um, we specifically do this with blessing to snipe <laughs> IBO out from under them. Um, pondering Putin is fucking great. Uh, it's. Weird, but it's always just funny to record. Uh, having a time limit so that I only record for a half hour is kind of nice. I'll Imagine be, I'll be, I'll be if we tried to do that with this. We could not, <laughs> we could not in the same way that we couldn't with Ghost Divers. But it's good to just have specifically set up a podcast where uh, I force the limit, uh huh. Um, and then around the long fire, um. As we are recording this, we just finished up Laxdaila Saga. Uh, that saga is fantastic.
1: The The last episode you did about Laxdaila Saga is really fucking good.
2: Yeah. Um, and then we're about to start uh, Nyala, which is the nickname for uh, Nyala Saga, also called Renu Nyala Saga. Um, and that's, I think, I'm pretty sure that's the longest saga that exists, so... Um, it'll be a, like our longest like you know uh series of episodes for mm. a saga but uh that one's really good um it's very spoilers for for uh all around, around the long fire for people who are going to listen to that uh like within the first I'm few people. chapters within the first few chapters uh the the main guy that we meet at the very beginning the first focal character uh immediately bags just the richest, most powerful MILF in I all love of Norway. That for him. Yeah. Ooh. Uh it's very
1: funny. Sorry, I'm just getting that yawn out. <clears throat>
2: We're right, gonna be we'll find you.
1: You find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co host at autumnal. On co host I've been doing um weekly wrap up posts where I gather up all of the um export audio shows that have come out in any given week. Um and so that's a great way to keep up with all the things that we're doing. Another great way to keep up with the things that we do are to go to patreoncom slash audio. Um, there, I've got links to all the free feeds for all the shows. I need to add Anomalous Readings, a show that Nora and Jackson just watched, just launched, where they're reading one sci-fi book a month and coming together to talk about it. They talked about Horus Heresy, the 40K book. Next week, next month, they're talking about. A book I hadn't heard of, and now the title is escaping me. But go listen to Anomalous Readings to find out. Um, I'll have... Next week, I'll probably have set up like slash readings to find that easily. Um, probably won't be working by the time you hear this, but sometime soon. Um, <clears throat> for a dollar a month, you get this podcast early, you get Gotham City Limits early, you get Hot Singles early, you get all sorts of things early. And for five dollars a month, you get um, Pop Town Funk, which I'm gonna like bend Nora's arm and like force us to fucking do a Pop Town. I don't, I don't care what we talk about. We tried watching a Let's Play of Bendy in the Ink Machine, and it went poorly. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. This is done.
2: Wait, but do I need to still link that other one back?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um. Um, so, 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 um, $5 a month, Pop Town Fuck, you also get, um, half of the episodes of Coffee and Comic Books, half of them are free, half of them go to that $5 tier, we just put out an episode, um, called, uh, about Arsene Shrawan, um, which is a weird fucking book, um, and I really enjoyed that episode, I thought it came out really good, um, and then, um, our next two episodes will be free, those will be for free in the Patreon feed or for free in the um, uh, its own feed. Um, those will be about the first 10 volumes of uh, Billy Bat. We've recorded all those, um, and I really like how those have been coming along. And then the back half of Billy Bat, the second two, or the, the last two episodes of that series, those will only be for $5 patrons. So if you wanna hear about the end of Billy Bat, you gotta uh, subscribe to the Patreon. So, um, thank you to all those folks who do that. Um, Coffee and Comic Books seems to have brought in, um, a little uptick on the $5 tier, and I think, I think if you like this podcast, I think you're going to get a lot out of Coffee and Comic Books. Yeah, it's good. Um, I think there is a lot of overlap in the ways in which both these shows work. So, um, yeah. That's everything. Um...
2: Okakoro is real. Okokoro is real. No podcast will ever go long for me in the way that stairwells can go long. Yeah. Like I just have to be on top of ghost divers. Uh-huh. In a way that I'm not with this.
1: I was really shooting for like two and a half, so like three twelve feels good, you know? The thing is, we would have we would have just skated under three hours. We would have like Indiana Jones with the hat under three hours.
2: And then we remember the emails.
1: And then we remember the emails. But we got them off our plate. There's not going to be that many emails next time. oh is real. Okokoro is
2: real. Radiohead's
1: fine. Radiohead sucks. <laughs> oh, are we recording? Okay, shit. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. No, no, no. I no. just turned it on while I...
2: Because <laughs> you were like, we're, we're doing a podcast already. Yeah, I was uh, just... And then you were like, dicking around on your phone, which is fine.
1: Yeah. I didn't tell you I was hitting record. I wasn't dicking around. I was like, I was like, tweeting, ooh, I sure would love to go back on Hot Singles, because I didn't really want to like... DM uh, Alexis and Boo tonight. I'll probably like if they don't bite on this tweet. I'll probably DM them tomorrow. You mm-hmm. know, um, but yeah, Radiohead sucks ass, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, you want to just or are we just OK smoking?
2: Computer is fine. I like OK Computer. I like Kid A. Um, I like what Amnesiac, the one after that one's fine. Sure. Th- those like three. I like those albums. I listen to them a lot, in, in high school, I love them in high school. I'm, but then the way that people are fans of Radiohead have like further turned me off of it.
1: I've listened to OK Computer and Kid A from end to end once in my life each. I've listened to In Rainbows like three times. I I, I'm, I don't like In Rainbows very much. I I kind the thing about In Rainbows when did In Rainbows come out? I want to say two thousand seven. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, maybe. Um, it had to come out at such a particular time because their solution to... Um, they, they didn't want the album to get leaked, so they put it out themselves on their own website where you could PayPal them uh, your own price for the yeah. album. Which is like such a particular like slice of internet economics. Yeah. <laughs> the like... Like, like this is pre-Humble Bundle. This is um, pre-2007. I was right on the money. Yeah, I was um, 11 when uh, In Rainbows came out. So just starting to be... I feel like 2008 is when I first started to really be online like that. And, like, starting to, like, hang out with other people who are all older than I was and had opinions about a lot of things. And starting to kind of exist in, like a space of, I have opinions about things. I'm I'm making opinions about things, you know? Yeah. And so the thing that happened was that when I was 12 years old, I decided, one, I don't like Radiohead very much, and two, everybody who I hang out with on the internet that likes Radiohead is a fucking dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, thank you for correcting my mistake from last yeah, time. Yeah, I, I just noticed you got yeah. the colors wrong. I was, I was like, I, I was looking at it last week, and I'm feeling like something's wrong here. But I got the colors wrong. Okay. Yeah
2: you you flipped them. You flipped the green. And I did RBG. It around. but it was because I looked at this because I was just going to copy it over, and I was like, wait, why is episode seventy one
1: is supposed to be green. supposed
2: to be green? And then I was trying to figure it out while you were talking. But anyway, yeah. Um, we'll copy and paste this seventy two um i forgot that i was going to talk about Mobile c gundam
1: anyway yeah i just decided at 12 years old that i don't like radiohead and that everybody um who likes radiohead is a jackass and um every experience i've had with radiohead since then in the intervening 14 years yeah has really enforced at least the part where i think people who like radiohead are kind of jackasses. <laughs> Sorry to the many, many Radiohead fans that are listening to this, I'm certain. But, um... It's just how I feel. <laughs> um... um and
2: uh, uh uh sorry for people who get annoyed with like uh typing sounds on podcasts.
1: My brother in Christ, you've listened to probably three hours of this podcast and a whole really clicky clacky uh Bauhaus song. you can deal with some typing sounds <laughs> yeah.
2: um both of these I think are the are um Soderberg
1: I'm really I'm yeah, both of them are Soderberg um I'm really shooting for like, two hours this time, which I think me, will I'm mean that it comes run. out for t- to two and a half to three, you know? That's what I'm shooting for. Yeah. Um. um
2: when, is, when is Ocean's 12? What's I want to say 2003. Yeah, I feel like it was pretty quick. 2004.
3: 2004.
2: Okay. Um. Uh, um and then... I, I'm... Don't remember. Stairs? Maybe there's some... Hmm? I don't know. I'm gonna be honest, I didn't really pay attention for stairs with most of these, except for Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zeta, where uh, it's an S because you...
1: It's the fucking stairs! I remember um, some S rank. Uh, I think I gave it an A when I watched Ocean's Eleven last year. The The... The Clooney Ocean's Eleven, not the. Yeah, there's. I'll, I'll talk about it when we get there in the episode. Yeah,
2: there's a. I mean, I know Julia there's like uh Julia
1: Roberts. Julia Roberts. Okay. Yeah. She descends some stairs. She descends some stairs. Yeah. Um. And I Ocean's remember them 12. being nice stairs, but you don't get a good look at them.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there's good ones in Ocean's Twelve.
1: Um, I have the driest fucking hands this winter, dude. Me too.
2: I have you have you seen uh, my toddlers where like some of them are like, just
3: fucked up. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, because the toddler's not gonna think like, oh, I should put some hand lotion on. Right. You know.
1: Yeah, it's just gotten me really bad this year. Nora and I were comparing notes because so her job has her handling cardboard a lot of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So the palms of her hands are have been so dry this winter, like. Cracked and terrible. My palms are fine, but I have a food service job where I'm washing my hands once every 30 minutes minimum. Minimum, you know? Yeah. Um, sometimes I wash my hands, go do something gross, and then wash it again five minutes later, you know? like Yeah. And so the, the backs of my hands have just been getting fucking eviscerated, and there's no amount of lotion in the world. The, the I'm at the point where the lotion has made my hands stop hurting all the time but it's just dry you know it just looks bad and gross and I just have to live with it
3: yeah um
2: I think this is all that I'm I'm gonna really talk about
1: and then all I have is RoboCop and the thing you can double check my letterbox to make sure I'm not missing anything yeah. But you
2: vetoed me talking at all about licorice recoil
1: this is your licorice recoil moment you, you, okay you we'll any? do it in the little post yeah thing. go now
2: um it's still just wild to me that the the actual gay story is around <laughs> like this old gay couple uh but so the big thing is so um chisado which is the blonde
1: one mm-hmm. um sorry I'm looking you, for my water bottle yeah did you bring it uh, I definitely filled it up before we came in here. I don't think I brought it in here. Did you notice
2: that there was an ice cube in it? Because I put an ice cube in it for you. Oh, that's one so of nice of ones. you.
1: If you didn't see that, then you probably. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, bring didn't it in grab here. it. I really wish I got a Bundaberg when we were at that pizza place earlier. Yeah. We like, walked in, and I saw it, and then I was like, mm, do I want this? And the guy already had your pizza ready. If there was even one more moment of waiting, I would have been like, hey, can I grab a Bundaberg real quick? Yeah. But I didn't, and now I'm like, damn. That would have really hit the spot, though. Um. So, anyway, Chisato. Chisato. Uh,
2: so, <clears throat>
1: from, like, when she was a little child, is like... Of, what kind of soda does Chisato like, you think? Is she a ginger ale, ginger beer person? I think she's just, like... Because she's so genki. Uh-huh. It's probably
2: just, like, Pepsi.
1: Yeah. You Diet know? Pepsi or Pepsi?
2: Um... Probably... Mm. Probably Pepsi. Okay. She she has the she has the like we'll eat a bunch of food and never gain weight Genki energy.
1: And is she like she's not like a vanilla Pepsi? She's just like Pepsi. Probably just Pepsi. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've get, I've been getting really into um, maybe also like Fanta if she wants something fruity. So there's there's two grocery stores near us owned by the same family, and the one closer to me. Um, is very very small very small Um, and the one that's a little more out of my way closer to you closer to my work but my work is pretty far from where I live these days Yeah. Um, is a lot bigger and carries lots of different fancy sodas and I kind of have been like kind of going out of my way to go to the other one more often just because I've been like 2023 20, autumn gets back into fancy sodas I was into it when I was 16 now at 26 it's not like super God, fancy I'm turning
2: 27 soon I'm turning thirty-five soon. <laughs> anyway. Um Yeah, you just watch the Robocop in the thing. Um The Robocop. The Robocop. Um let me let me think. What's she the best way? Ta- Takina. What's the, I'll put this in and then we'll sort it. Okay. Um So Takina, uh, it turns out so from very little she's like uh can like see the slightest movements that people are doing mm-hmm. with with their hands to, like, dodge bullets. Um, and could be, like, a fantastic exa- assassin. But because when she was a kid, she had this heart defect, um, and then there's, like, this experimental robot heart that she has that made her even stronger. Um, but it's going to fail, like, around the time of the main show. Um, so she has this, like, experimental robot heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But because the, the like, shitty business guy gave her the heart and saved her life, she wants to save people, and so she doesn't want to use live ammo. She uses, like, stuff that will, like, knock people out, but not kill—it's like—there's MB- parts where they, like, shoot it, and it's supposed to be, like, you know, non-lethal ammo, but it's just, like, shotgun, like, multiple times into someone's face, and I'm like, I think— yeah, that would like, still kill somebody
1: yeah I think if you unloaded like a rubber bullet into somebody's skull it would still do damage yeah you know like you would still get a concussion out of that <laughs> uh, but this is
2: anime logic where it is possible to have completely non-lethal weapons yeah uh, so anyway um but so there's this thing where it, this part's not like fully clearly explained other than like I think the shitty business guy like wanted her to be like a good actual assassin. And so it was trying to push her to like be able to kill. And so he has the the heart that will like last forever basically. Right. There's like only one that they managed to perfect or whatever. Anime logic. Mm-hmm. Um they can't make it again. Mm-hmm. Um for whatever reason. And so he is like uh in order to like You know, fix your heart so that you can continue to live. You need to kill me, your, like, shitty gay dad. Mm -hmm. Not your cool gay dad, who's still with you, but your shitty one. Yeah. And I was just like... Wow, most shitty dads don't literalize the need to, like, kill them in order to, like, heal your heart and move on <laughs> quite this intensely, but...
1: I hope that he said that, and then 12 minutes later, Chisato just pops him in the head. I assume that's not how this goes down.
2: No, so she has this whole thing where she still doesn't want to kill. But this is what's great, and why I'm still deeply invested in the the other gay guy, mm-hmm. um, who's, like, their teach, they refer to as. Uh, who's, like, sort of in charge of their thing. Uh, and he also, like mostly does non lethal stuff and does like help chisada with the non lethal weapons. Uh but he just fucking he finally fucking kills his like ex <laughs> to get the heart to save his daughter and I'm like, Yeah all right. Hell yeah I love you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, go get your water. I'm gonna finish yep. typing stuff cool. in. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, I can cut this if I can't vamp, but maybe I'll also vamp. Do you have any Don't peppers? let the cats in. I don't think there's any Verners. There are Doctor Peppers. If you're getting a Doctor Pepper you have to get me one. There's also that. hard seltzer I know. in the fridge.
1: Living with Nora, I, I have learned that I would rather just have water than Dr Pepper. I'm, I'm, I madness. I, I am not a. You know, I'll, I'll get us both Dr Peppers. I haven't had a Dr <laughs> Pepper in a long time. The thing is, I am, I am surrounded, all day, at all times, every day by Dr yeah. Pepper, and I sip it, and I'm like, eh, it's fine, it's fine. Anyway, um, it's the best soda. You should vamp by telling the story about lemon Ollie from just now.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Don't let them in, by the way. Um, I'm going to finish typing this up while I tell the story. Uh, But so, you know, we have to put my toddler to bed, uh, all of that. Um, And then, like, usually, immediately, while I'm still doing dishes, um, the cats get fed. Uh, And then, sometimes, they will run to the bedroom because they know that uh, if I'm recording and, you know... About 50% of the time if Autumn's over here We're going to be recording Because the other 50% of the time we're watching the movie Um So sometimes they will they will run over into here Because they want to be in here to be able to like I, I think cats just like don't like doors being closed And so they don't want to be Like with that door closed Into the bedroom Because uh, normally we do like the airlock Like the bedroom and then also my closet Which is where we record Um so they're in here Um and for people that don't know my my two cats there's Lem and Ollie uh Lem I named after the shittiest man I know uh the most evil man that I know uh named after Lem King from from Friends of the Table uh and he's like kind of scrawny uh not that scrawny I I've seen scrawnier cats but he's like you know lighter than Ollie Ollie's a little bit bigger uh, a little bit heavier um and Lamb's a little bit more, like, athletic and acrobatic and will run all around. He's uh, way better at hiding. Uh, Ollie's a, a lot chiller in general, um, although can be extremely aggro about trying to steal your food. Uh, that's Ollie's big thing. But so, um, Autumn came in here as I was, like, taking my, my inhaler. And, uh, I think Ollie was probably on the bed or something, uh, and, and Autumn just, like, scooped him up and was, like, cradling him in, in, in their arms, uh, you know, going out, closing their door, taking it, gently placing Ollie into Emily's lap, uh, because Emily's just, like, watching TV on the sofa right now, uh, probably under a blanket, um, and then Autumn didn't know where Lem was, but I did, because I've, recording here all the time uh lem likes to go up on top of our bookshelves in part because it's hard for me to get him up there um and so we have some like still some uh empty tubes from when we wrapped presents over yule um and so i took one of them and was kind of just like you know not like uh forcefully or uh like whacking or anything but just like sort of gently poking and prodding being like lem you gotta get down you gotta leave uh and then lem uh, I have, like, these two bookshelves that are kind of in the corner, and then, um, next to one of them is the glass case that I, like, put my Gunpla and stuff in, um, and I have like a, a, tube TV on there, it's like a little tiny one, um, hooked up to a PlayStation 2 so I can play PlayStation 2 at all, anytime I want, um, I hardly ever use that, but it is plugged in there, um, anyway, uh, so, like, Lem was jumping down from the, the bookshelf onto the little tiny tube TV, and I, like, grabbed him, and he's, like, he's also very noodly. it's very hard to hold on to him, so he was kind of, like, squirming all over, uh, trying to flop out of my arms, and just kind of, like, opening the door and, like, you know, chucking him out, essentially. Um, again, not super forcefully, but, like, eh, you know, you kind of gotta, like, give a little bit of a push so that he'll, like, not immediately just run back in, uh, when you set him down. You have that little bit of time to close the door. So, yeah. Uh, Ollie gets gently cradled. <laughs> and Lem gets kind of uh, cajoled and, and <laughs> tossed out. <laughs> but, you know, when the bouncer shows up, <laughs> and one's like, yeah, I'll go, you know. Uh-huh. Just like, you know, you kind of, the bouncer's still got like their, their hand on your like collar a little bit. But you're just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. That's Ollie. Mm hmm. Lem is, like, kicking and screaming, trying to pick fights with, like, not only the bouncer, but the other people in the bar who are just observing it. Yeah.
1: The funny thing about it, too, was that Ollie, sweet, perfect, innocent angel, he's sitting, like, right in the middle of the bed. Yeah. Ollie loves the dead center of the bed. I scoop him up. He's like, okay, I'm being scooped. I cradle him. I walk him. He's like, okay, you're taking me into the living room. That's probably where he, I could see in his eyes. He's like, okay, I'm going to be placed on mom's lap. I'm like two steps away from Emily, and the MF just starts squirming. <laughs> no! <laughs> he, I set him on Emily, and he's like, oh, this is where I wanted to be. Now I will lay down. <laughs> yeah. But didn't I guess didn't want to be set down, wanted to jump down himself. I don't know what he was trying to communicate to me there. Um.
2: So, Four why why is this not doing it the way I want? Is it because I'm already recording? That'd be fucked up. That'd be fucked up if that's why. Oh, oh, this is why. I haven't made it that. Ah, there you go. Look at Hachi. I love her so much.
1: I love her so much, dude. Um, do you want to do the not a minute here?
2: I mean, we could also do it in the main episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I sure. made a sacred <laughs> vow.
2: Should we do Double Zeta first, then Robocop, then the Oceans, and then the Thing, or do you want to do
0: it?
1: The... Yeah, yeah, that sounds good.
2: Okay, or like Robocop first, then Double Zeta, then no, the thing. I like I okay. like
1: I like Double Zeta, Robocop, Oceans Block,
2: yeah, because I'm gonna mostly talk about them in mm. like related ways. Um, yeah, and then the Thing. Oop. And I already got Licorice Recoil in. I'm not going to even put it in here. I'll just say this now. Um, the other two things I watched, I watched both Kino's Journey movies. Um, people should go listen to the Ghost Divers Question Bucket that will be out. If you're listening to this in the Patreon feed, it uh, will be out this Friday. If you're listening to it in the free, free, it's, uh, free feed, it's already out. Go check it out. Uh, odd.io slash Ghost Divers. Mm-hmm. So
1: so I'll, I'll give a little context here. Which is that, one, uh, as as listeners are hearing this, if they are in the early access Patreon feed, this is going to be slightly different if you're not on the Patreon feed. I'm not going to do that much contextualizing. If you're in the Patreon feed, you are hearing this on Tuesday the 17th, I want to say. Yeah, the 17th. Yeah. <laughs> I know this because I had to uh, put uh, day dots for the 17th on... 40 ham and cheese croissants today. <laughs> so Rick and I the the next episode of Billy Bat. Yeah. Or the next episode of Coffee and Comics books will be out on 2 days after this, maybe 3 days after this. Um it'll be about it'll be the first Billy Bat episode. We recorded that 2 weeks ago and then just a couple days ago we recorded um uh, the second Billy Bad episode. I've been trying to give myself a couple weeks lead time with Coffee and Comic Books just so I have wiggle room to cancel or only do two episodes a month like we originally planned or something like that. But we've been going yeah. pretty much weekly right now.
0: Yeah.
2: Even with Ghost Divers where we're trying to, like, we are now at the point where we've tightened up the schedule. Um It's still going to be three weeks for discussion episodes.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so, um, um... On that show I've been talking about, it's been weird because on this show, I can kind of come in and talk about, like, stuff I'm working through, you know? that Dr. Pepper really just... <laughs> um, it's, I can kind of talk about stuff I'm working through. We can do a ZZ Gundam check-in, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, we can do a Turn A check-in. We can do a Twin Peaks check-in. But, like, because there's, so, there's that lead time, I kind of only want to talk about comics on Coffee and Comic Books when I finish them. Which is kind of antithetical to, uh, the way I often read comics, not always, but the mode I've been in, especially the last month or so, which is, I read one volume of Usagi Ojimbo. I read two chapters of, um, uh, the Scrooge McDuck book. Um, I read three chapters of Nemesis the Warlock, you know, whatever, three progs, forgive me, three progs of, uh. Nemesis the Warlock. It's a 2000 AD book. Yeah. Anyway, um, and I was kind of thinking, I was like, I have all this stuff. Especially the, the, the thing grabbing my attention the most right now is Usagi Yojimbo. That's the thing I'm most excited to read. I have a massive, massive backlog of Usagi Yojimbo. And also, I have read a ton of Usagi Yojimbo. It just so happens that I'm like, I'm probably like midway through my Usagi Yojimbo journey and there's just a lot of Usagi Yojimbo out there to read, you know? So I was like, I'm gonna get closer to finishing something. Not Not necessarily that I wanted to finish something, but I wanted to like feel like I was making progress that I could see and I um went back to reading Nana because I left off uh I'd read six volumes, um and I went back to reading it. um I just recently listened to most of I actually kind of stopped. I told you, I listened to the Ghost Divers New Year special, yeah, and I told you, I'm probably just gonna listen to the whole thing. I don't care about Nana spoilers, you know i've I've absorbed a lot, and I also am not a person who gets invested in spoilers and like that, you know, yeah. Um, and then you realize that we, like, fell into just synopsizing the whole thing. Well, more than that, I just, like, I, I there's, like, an hour and a half of podcasts before you get there. And I felt like, hmm, I've had kind of my fill. And now I can pause this. And I was like, I feel like, yeah, I, w- I want to go read more Nana, you know. I might yeah. end up listening to that episode before I finish Nana. Because I know the very last thing that happens before, the, you know. Um, yeah, once you get past like
2: volume like nine or ten, then there's still like a couple big spoilers, but you know the big one. Okay, um, so,
1: and the, so the the other thing is, I know that I know the other big thing that's about to happen that I suspect is like probably in the next volume or two, you know, yeah. So I read volume seven um Tuesday morning before work. No, yesterday morning before work. Um and um I give you a lot of shit. Yeah. I roast you a lot for how intensely not a brain you were. Yeah. Uh, were are will always be. <laughs> I give you a lot of shit. Yeah, cuz it's funny to me mostly. Yeah. Reading and because vo-
2: I'm the, the most put upon person in the entire world, that's true. You are. Yeah.
1: Reading volume seven, I was like, okay, I get it though. <laughs> I get why she's like this, because volume seven is just perfect comics. Mm-hmm. It is just the peak of the of the genre of the form,
2: everything. You haven't even gotten to when like some of the style starts changing.
1: This, this is easily going pound for pound with all my favorite moments of Berserk, all my, like, favorite Jack Kirby things. Like, like, this is the good shit.
2: <laughs> you haven't even gotten to the glass breaking scene where other shit happens that I have not told you
1: about. Yeah. I just, I read volume seven and I just was like, because especially, I like volume one. Volume one doesn't really do it for me. God damn. <laughs> I'm sorry to take some of these
2: out, but maybe I'll leave in, like, you reacting to it just because it'll be funny.
1: Listeners, if you don't understand what's happening because of how Nia's edited it, I'm burping a lot from this <laughs> Dr. Pepper, <laughs> and, like, and I keep thinking, oh, I'm just, I've got, like, a little, like, hiccup or something, and then it's just, like, a full-on, like, belch. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> anyway, um, volume one doesn't really do it for me, and volume two... They get they they I was gonna say they get together. <laughs> that's not that's not what happens in volume two. But volume two they meet they like meet and they're hanging out and But is that kind of when they get together? That's kind of when they get together a little bit. Volume two Are they are they kind of just
2: dating and they don't realize it?
1: Volume two is like um where where the rubber starts to meet the road for me. And then three, four, five, six, it's like there's stuff building, but you're kind of those are like those are the good old days that they're gonna end up looking back on in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, and so there's it's not low drama, but compared to where Volume Seven gets to, and and the stuff that Volume Seven is building to, because you know, because I know, ooh, Volume Eight, like some shoe is gonna drop. I don't I don't know that because you told me. I just have a sense as like yeah. I have read stories. I feel like there's something coming around the line lo- coming down the line here. Like we got we got a cus- we a customer. We got a character experiencing happiness and oh maybe I figured my shit out. This has gotta go really badly for her all of a sudden. Yeah. You know? Um Have you gotten the, the fireworks yet? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. The 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 ones where
2: the fireworks are canceled and they they have it in the street with the, just like the little. I, I have seen that. Yeah. Okay.
1: It was just. It was before. Um, I picked it back up this week, so it was yeah. like months ago. So I, a little unclear.
2: Yeah. And then like, uh, Nana's like, I feel like a, a boy falling in love for the first time or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're um, like, oh,
1: honey. <laughs> Um, those bitches are so gay.
2: The thing that's gonna be great as you continue to go on is Rand is gonna can get more and more just like, babe, like you seem to just be by, <laughs> just like fucking go for it. I'm fine with you going for it. <laughs> uh, and everyone's like, that's not what's happening. And he's like, I. I think my role in this manga is to be the really perceptive one who can say the things that really cut to like the truth of what people are doing. And, babe, you're really gay. <laughs> and she's gay, too.
1: <laughs> but not... <laughs> the key thing is that where I'm at, Ren has kind of been that a little bit. But Ren is still, like, can't see past his own bullshit sometimes, you know?
2: I mean, he's never going to be able to see past his own bullshit, but he will still... Uh, see cuttingly into other people. I think. Yeah. But, it's but sort of... not into himself. He's never going to see cuttingly into himself. Here's the difference.
1: And, and these characters often are not in the same scene because they're part of different bands, right? Yeah. ren sees through the bullshit, sees through Takumi and makes a flippant remark about, you're kind of an asshole. Or 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 Junko sees through all the bullshit and is like, Nana will figure it out, but she's really stressing me out with all the like, while she's figuring it out. Like Junko is like, when not when Hachi is 30, she's gonna be fine, but her 20s are gonna be rough. <laughs> um and, and Yasu, um that's the ball guy, right? Yeah. He is just very like, I'm the character who can see through the bullshit, and everybody knows that about me, so I'm gonna deliver a monologue right now. But I, that does not mean that I will do anything in my power to fix any of the yeah. situations.
2: <laughs> I'm also going to, like, very often keep quiet. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love... Yasu. is great, but he's a coward. It's, his, it's yes. his, big, uh, his big, like, point of failure.
1: Yes. that's the, that's the That's the great thing about his character, is that he understands all the ways in which things will go bad for everybody, and he understands what he could do about it, but we'll never do
3: anything. But he's about
1: so he's so like ascetic.
3: Yeah.
2: He's so like. But if I act, then maybe I will be like uh, enabling this towards what I want.
3: Yeah.
1: And like. Well, well. So I I have a suspicion about this because in this volume we get a little more backstory. We've gotten some of this before, but we get a little more development. Uh, a little more details on this of his relationship with uh, Layla. Um, is it is it Layla? Is it Rera? It so. Like, technically, her name is, is
2: Layla. Like, that's what she was... The name that she was given. Mm-hmm. But also, it's, like, mostly... Because it's in Japan and it's Japanese people, and, like, that's the way that it's written out in... Makes sense. Okay. You know, in Japanese, then it's Reira. Okay. But Okay. Um, so, 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 yeah, it's one of those things where it's, like... Yeah, technically, like, her birth name, the name that she was given when she was born was Layla, but also, like, functionally in Japan, her name is Reira.
1: Okay, so... My, my suspicion based on like the little bits and details we've learned now here is that like Yasu for a long time has been able to perceive the bullshit and is like his one time where he's like, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to get ho- I'm going to hook up with Rara and it feels like maybe he got burned real bad by that and has just decided, well, now I'll never do anything again. <laughs> That's that is what I'm sort of sensing. We'll see if I'm right. Um, it seems like Rayra got real fucked up from whatever happened. That that girl got issues. Um,
0: that mean, she, that, I mean... <laughs>
1: that girl needs therapy more than anyone else in this entire book. I mean, she's been around Takami
2: for the longest yeah. I think of anybody. <laughs> so, um, yeah.
1: Takami literally instrumentalizing that bitch. Uh,
2: Takami also needs therapy, but would never go.
1: Yeah. You know. The, okay, there's a guy at my work Who's like a real piece of shit, like a real fucking dirt bag. And he like I, he will mention he, like like um, today. Today's Sunday. Yeah. um Wednesdays. He'll work like until the early afternoon. And I remember one time I asked him, I was like, oh, could you stay late today? And he's like, no, 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 I can't. I've got therapy on Wednesdays. um And he's talked a little bit about therapy. And it's like, I know you. And I know that you suck. And I also hope that therapy is helpful for you. But I can only I can only think about this imagining myself as your therapist and just sitting there being like, you fucking asshole. I fucking hate you. I'm gonna like <laughs> I don't know how therapists do it. I don't know how therapists like tolerate <laughs> people who just kind of suck. <laughs> yeah. If you're a therapist, write in. We know at least one listens. That's a that's a joke, because yeah. I knew there's one there's one therapist who writes in. Uh, God damn.
2: <laughs> anyway. Uh it's a great manga.
1: I, it is. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I I totally understand why you were like this.
2: Yeah.
1: Um I have such an itch to reread Scott Pilgrim. But now we're totally off track and we've done been doing this for 34 minutes and we got our spreadsheet set up. So let's let's hop to it.
2: I hate when it doesn't. Yeah. Let me type anyway.